The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Don't bet on it. A special edition by popular demand. Our initial plan was to have another podcast dream preview, but it dawned on us one people were just craving a don't bet on it last week. And number two is we've got our Fox national show in which we're going to be previewing all the Saturday elite eight matchups Friday night, then Saturday night, all the Sunday matchups. So if you're looking for those previews with Fezzik, Brad Powers, just follow me on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. I'll be tweeting out the links to the Fox show early, early Saturday morning, early, early Sunday. And every game in the Elite Eight, you'll get a breakdown. So this is a bonus show. We're joined, as always, Steve Cofield. I'm RJ Bell. You ready to go? I am ready. I thought what? I was going to get the, uh, what was it, the hard, the hot take kid? The hot the, take. The, the, the kid. The, <laughs> I want to be a kid. You want to you be ironic? The hot take, <laughs> hot shot. The hot take, hot shot. I feel like I got completely outdone this week. I saw some pretty crazy hot takes this week. Well, we've got a bunch <laughs> of them. We're gonna, we got stuff from Clay Travis, Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman, Colin Cowherd, more Stephen A. Smith, the pardon the interruption guys. And if you look at Skip Bayless, actually, I'll tease ahead. The worst take of the week is coming from Skip. I think that's a first for Skip. He got it. <laughs> He's going to be proud, proud. <laughs> the topics we're talking about, the Cavs in the East. We're talking about a coach blaming cancer. That's the get off my lawn. One of them. He's got two this week from Cofield. I guess he had one held over from last week. We've got <laughs> Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. I'm going to give you a little bit of handicapping there. Also, we've got talk about how in-game betting is maybe the most important thing to the NFL. Now think about that for a second. And that's from the pardon, the interruption guys. Also Richard Sherman and his contract. We've got the Rockets versus the Warriors. We've got Butch Jones as an intern at Alabama, triple G and steroids with Canelo Floyd in the MMA. But first we're starting with, Sam Darnold, Colin Cowherd, Joel Klatt discussing, is he a lock, a lock to be the number one pick? It was a little bit Roy Hobbs-esque. You know what I mean? I mean, it was a little bit the natural because it started raining very heavily right when Sam started to throw, and he did not flinch at all. He had one of the most, I would say, best pro days I've seen in a long time. I got to tell you, coming away from today, and this is the earliest I've said this in this process, the New York Giants are on the clock because I think the number one pick was totally solidified today. Wow. So, by the way, you saw Wentz. You like Carson Wentz pro day. Are, you know, we all know yeah. Wentz is really good. He's a little bigger than Sam height-wise. Are Wentz and Darnold, are their skill sets reasonably close? Or I mean, well, compare those two. I think Darnold's probably a bit more athletic. He probably does a much better job when I'm watching film, when he's improvising, when he has to make a throw. And then here's the biggest point. When they need a throw, 
In the biggest moments of USC's system, or excuse me, season, game in and game out, he generally made those throws. I think of that Texas game. He made that incredible jump pass right down the middle of the field. If he doesn't make that pass, they don't win the game. They don't even make it to overtime. So to me, the comparisons with Wentz and Darnold are more because of their rugged nature and less because of what they actually did in college. Because when I look at what Darnold did in college, there's, there's a lot more there. There's more substance there than there even was with Carson Wentz. I wonder how Joel Klatt and Colin are splitting their 10%. <laughs> I mean, have, I can't, if that, <laughs> if that were the agent, would it sound any different? If they were to interview the agent and said, Okay, how was the pro day for your guy, Sam Darnold? Well, you ever see the movie The Natural? (laughs) (laughs) It was sort of like that, right? But, and I tell you, you know, the guy who was drafted very high two years ago and was on course to be the MVP? Yeah, that guy? Yeah. Well, I'm going to compare those two and Sam Darnold so much better. (laughs) I mean, he's smoother. I mean, did that make any sense? What do I complain about all the time with these media guys? West Coast bias. Actually, no one does that. But in this case, it actually sounded like that, didn't it? Clatt is a Fox and Pac-12 guy. And Colin, obviously, has been in L.A. for a while. And we have to say, right or wrong, Colin has been on the Sam Darnold runaway train. It's his train alone. Because even when Darnold hit the skids, Colin would go right on Twitter and just start trolling away. And he's like, you morons. He's going number one. I'm telling you, he's going number one. So this is... This is great fulfillment for him at this point, but what, if it's true. That's the point. It's almost like he's got such a horse in the game. <laughs> and as we say, hot takes get beat by cold cash. Let's look at the odds. Right now you can bet who will be the number one draft choice, 2018 NFL draft. Barkley is seven to four. All right. So that's what? Plus 175. And... Sam Darnold is 14 or, or uh, f- uh, four, uh, five wins you 14, I guess is the way to say it. So then you've got Josh Allen at plus 350, Baker Mayfield at plus 550, and Josh Rosen 7 to 1, any other player 14 to 1. So plus 275 for Darnold. So hold on a second. Right now, Darnold is plus 275. Barkley is plus 175, and they're talking about the Giants are on the clock? What do you think, Cofield? Well, I'm still nervous about what we talked about a few weeks ago with Mike Lombardi, which I know we're going to get into and what Mike Lombardi said about Darnold, so that worries me. And well, it worries you, but let's define what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about that it sound, if, if all you did was be a cat, if you're just a casual fan and you say, you know, Colin Cowherd, sharp, you know, got very respected, one of the biggest names in radio. All that's true. If you, Joel Klatt, very respected. I'm a big fan of Joel Klatt. I'm friends with Colin. It, no, hey, listen, we always talk about it. We just tell the truth here. No sacred cows. Doesn't it sound like there's no doubt in anyone's mind that number one, when you say the yeah. Giants are on the clock and you can bet 100 to win 275? Now, listen, these online odds for this stuff, the market's not super liquid, so it could be a little bit off. But let's say the plus 275 is actually plus 100, <laughs> I mean, which is a drastic change. It's still, 
50-50 if it's plus 100. The way they're speaking, it should be what? Minus 300? Oh, the way they're speaking, it should be minus seven, 800. <laughs> right? And what I meant by I'm worried about what Lombardi said, I'm worried about Collins' take and Klatt's take that this is a runaway train and he's the number one pick, Sam Darnold. Based on what Lombardi said, in a nutshell, he said the guy was not great on the chalkboard. He was doughy. And, and sloppy and and reputation of being they a didn't little, have a beach body yeah a little bit lazy so I think there's going to be other personnel people out there I think we're going to be along the same lines now are the Browns going to be because that's what it comes down to are the Browns completely sold on Sam Darnold and also but what, did, what did that what did that Jets trade do now that the Jets clearly moved up to take a quarterback can the Browns jerk around and wait for their guy at four here's the thing though Colin and Clatt by the way that was from the herd They weren't handicapping what the Browns are going to do. They were handicapping who the best quarterback, who the best player in the draft was, which is a different thing, right? You could think, oh, this guy, you know, if it wasn't for the love of quarterbacks, this guy would be number 12. But we know this number one team needs the quarterback, the number one pick. So I'm handicapping them to take the guy I think is 12th first. Right, and that's actually something I think fairly sophisticated that the guys like uh, Kuiper do. They've got their big board, I think they call it, which is just saying these are the fifty best players or whatever. Then they've got their draft projections, which is not how good the players are, but how good the teams think the players are. Right, but does, does it sound like Colin saying, "Wow," or Clat saying, "Wow"? Darnold did something specifically that I think the Browns are going to like. No, they were talking about how great he was compared to if we were redrafting in the NFL right now, every player was free. Who goes number one? Redrafting which class? The the entire league. Oh, the entire league now? Yeah. Based on age? I guess Wentz would have to be up there. (laughs) Right? I mean, he's the best. He seems like the best young quarterback prospect. I mean, I guess people could be high if they assume... Behind Watson, but I don't but think Watson's in the same with class. Two, with two knee injuries, like I said. That's a problem. Right? So the idea that this guy is clearly so much better than the most valuable player in the NFL. <laughs> they're a little over the it's top. It's strong. They're it's a little strong. over the top. I, but I also, I, th- I think they're savvy enough to be making the handicap against the, the way the draft sits. No. You don't think it's I didn't hear maybe that's what they're doing in other segments. That segment was about today's pro. And again, we're taping a little early here on Wednesday, but uh, Wednesday night in Vegas. But that was about his pro day. All right. All right. Last question is, and as we said, Michael Lombardi, formerly with Bill Belichick. He was hypercritical. I thought he knocked him out of the top 15. The way Lombardi was talking. These guys are like, this guy's a shoe in for one. And I totally get the idea that a guy like Clapp might say, hey, I hear the detractors, make some sense. Here's why I disagree. It's like there's not even detractors out there. It sounds like it's about like how this guy is the next, and like literally John Elway, Andrew Luck, Sam Darnold. Have you talked to Colin about this? Because I haven't no. heard a Colin reference to just Sam. I was like, damn, they're tight. <laughs> It was like Gary Danielson when uh, A.J. McCarron was at Alabama. Just call him A.J. all the time. <laughs> what is the biggest win of Sam Darnold's career? I thought, like, even when Klatt started saying he made every big throw, I'm like, what? Wait a second. People ripped on him all the time for throwing too many interceptions. What's the biggest win of his career? 
You follow college football very closely. And then what's the second biggest win? Uh, I, I can't chalk up some massive win where, uh, I don't know, would you go back to, what, two years ago against Penn State? Back and forth game? I mean, I, there's not a heck of a pedigree. And, and, and again, I mean, it wasn't, obviously, they didn't make the Final Four the last couple of years, so it wasn't and, in the and, mix there. And let's be candid. It doesn't mean that winning big games in college football transfers necessarily. But if you're talking about all the big throws and when the pressure's on and how somehow <laughs> somehow Wentz was so deficient in that area. Yeah, I, easy money, according to these guys. Easy money is the second choice. You better grab them. <laughs> well, yeah. If it's they think it's ninety percent, and the market's saying it's it's like you know, I, I don't know, thirty five percent at best. All right. Next topic, we've got the Rockets, and this is fascinating with the Rockets because they just beat Portland, a, a team that was in on a long winning streak. And if you look at this Rockets team, a lot of people are questioning, should the Rockets be favored over Golden State? From first take, Max Kellerman. The Rockets should be favored right now to win the whole thing. Stephen A., they got the MVP, James Harden. What are you talking about? Harden has been amazing this year. So has Chris Paul. So has Mike D'Antoni. And in fact, the Rockets have a big four like the Warriors. They're not as good as the Warriors in terms of how top-heavy they are, but they do have a four that really goes undiscussed. And I come back again and again to this fact. They have lost one game when healthy this season. One. Think about that for a second. When we've seen the Warriors just have the greatest regular season ever, or the Bulls have at that point the greatest regular season ever, 73 and 72 wins respectively, 9 and 10 losses respectively. You're asking the Warriors to beat that team that has basically not lost all year when healthy. Four out of seven games. They've lost one out of, what, 35, 36? Now you want them to lose four out of seven? It's simply less likely to happen than it is likely to happen. Max Kellerman saying that Houston should be favored. Fez, (laughs) I've got some projected odds on this from Fezzik. But Cofield, what do you think? That was an incredible hot take. And so, again, this, this is why we have don't bet on it. Because when we throw the numbers at you, Max, he's here all the time in Vegas, right? You better load up, brother. Actually, you should have loaded up a while ago. They should be favored. Man, that's maybe there's some pressure just to hot take. It's a little bit slow right now. What's going on? Well, listen, it surprised me how not far off he might be. I still agree with you. He's wrong. I talked to Fezzik. I talked to Matty Holt. Both those guys, by the way, on our Sweet 16 preview, we did two hours. I was coming in saying hour 10, two plus hours, breaking down those eight games. We had the better Fezzik, the handicapper, Brad Powers, the bookmaker, Matty Holt. Talked to those guys, specifically Matty and Fez, about Golden State, Houston, Houston home court advantage. They, they, pretty much the consensus opinion is, Golden State minus 140, Houston plus 120. Now, Houston has the home court, and Golden State's still favored, but, I mean, we're talking of a smidge at this point. Does that surprise you? Yes. I bet Golden State and feel comfy at 200. Well, it sounds like you're going to be taking off the rubber band. But 140's lovely. 
Now, this has really changed in the last three weeks. You could have gotten Houston about five to one still, maybe four to one, five to one to win the title, to win the title a month ago. Now you're looking at, you know, I'm seeing some places down with, and and, and remember we had Golden State up to, you know, minus 200 a month ago. I'm seeing Golden State down to about minus 120, and I'm seeing Houston in that even money range. So it has been a surge, and I do think it's a heck of an argument, specifically when Houston is healthy, how good they've been this year. That's a big question, though. How about in the seven-game series? Can Houston stay healthy in the seven-game series? I think people are being fooled by what the Warriors are doing right now because I keep hearing, oh, the Warriors don't care. No, this is the Warriors' plan. They're going to baby Steph Curry, make sure he's ready to go. If this gap winds up being eight games at the end of the regular season, the Warriors don't care. They have the two seed. They don't care. They'll be ready. Now, are you going to take off the... Let's say we get... My version of the rubber band. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to be $5,000 like the the Sharps. But yes. Now, let's consider, is Houston... If we just had this season to consider, we didn't know anything about these players prior. We didn't know anything about these teams prior. Would you agree Houston's had the more impressive season? Yes. And especially when all the guys... Play. But even when they don't, they what they're up four games now. Mm-hmm. So here's the question: What are the possible reasons that Golden State is still better if Houston has played better this year? So I've got a list of four. Let's walk through them. Potential reasons: something deceiving about Golden State's performance, meaning they are much better than they seem. Do you think that's the case? Yes. Why? Because I don't think they've been pressing on the gas pedal consistently throughout the season. I don't think they've had their four guys out there all right the entire season. I think they've looked for different stints to make sure that they get some rest. So injuries and motivation. Yep. Right. Is Houston somehow deceiving? As in, are they playing a lot better than they seem? No. They're playing better. I guess are they playing better than they really are? They're playing. No. I think they are really, really good. So you trust Houston's level. You think Golden State has a significantly higher ceiling? I mean, if I if I'm judging on wins, Houston is your you know historically a 64, 65 win team that could win a title. They're really, really good. I don't care about what the win total is going to be for the Warriors because I think they're minus like ten wins because of the way they're handling the season. The third reason, and this kind of blends with the first, Warriors history says higher ceiling. Meaning, you look at this year and say, yeah, but. Do you see how good they were last year? Yeah. But isn't that always the anatomy of a champ, a champion that goes down? I mean, think back. I mean, it's been a while now. Think back to the Lakers against the Pistons. You had all the signs, you know, 10 plus years ago. Oh, yeah, Lakers in trouble. This is it. But you think, oh, they're just going to turn it on. But eventually a team doesn't. You're not worried about that with Golden State. Nah, bad example, too. The Lakers were... Falling apart at the time. I don't think there's any discord with GSW. Yeah, but there's, all, there's, there's no always a reason. It could no be age. Uh, well, okay, age. I mean, do you think anyone on this team is past their prime? Maybe it's not about age, but maybe it is physicality. I mean, it's, is there a key player in the Houston Golden State series with more uncertainty around his health than Steph Curry? Probably not. 
if Steph Curry were out for the series, you you Houston at even money, you'd bet big? I'd still take Golden State. At even money. I might want a little bit on the plus side, a little bit. Just a smidge. Yeah. Wow. Do you think it's near 50% even without Steph Curry? I'll give you a couple factors when you're done with your fourth. (laughs) Go, no, no. Well, the last factor would be, and I think this is a valid one, doubts about Houston not necessarily even having a, uh, a higher ceiling, but about underperforming in the playoffs. As in history says, this team, now, is this the same team, right? Chris Paul. His influence, but you could say, well, Chris Paul's never made a conference final, right? So isn't this almost like a perfect storm of regular season performance, postseason doubt? That's my worry. Is that historically the two lead guys on the Rockets haven't gotten it done. And last year, Harden and the rest of the Harden quit against San Antonio and the rest of the team followed suit and they got destroyed. And there's something about Chris Paul. It's like the lovable loser. And I know this is this is sports talk radio. Right. Like I can't I can't guarantee it's going to happen. But you put those two guys together. I just feel like they're not going to get it done. And I think the other thing is there's a coaching edge. I think D'Antoni is really good. But come playoff time, are they going to play enough defense? And I just respect what Kerr does. And then I also respect the coaches on the floor. I'm not sure that James Harden is always the most heady guy. During those 48 minutes. So it's almost like a perfect storm. Houston's playing clearly better than. During the regular season, we got a Houston team. Not only we question them having another gear, we question if they drop off in the playoffs based on history. We got a Golden State team playing not as well in the regular season, but we're saying, oh, history tells us they're much better. Oh, history tells us they step up the Warriors doing the playoffs. History tells us that they're not playing as hard this year as they have in the past. Thus, we don't grade them as harshly. I love my minus 200. And I don't have to spend 200 It's only 140 I'm in. <laughs> I just talked myself further into it. Steve Cofield, who is typically on in the square chair, he feels confident. <laughs> he feels confident. Fire so, against me. <laughs> what, so when you are super confident on a bet, do you put down 22 or 33? <laughs> Why do I have to put down 33 or 22? Why can't I just walk up and do 30? Oh, that, that's, that's a sign. Super square. <laughs> I want to do 25. How come I'm getting change back? What happened? Next topic. <laughs> this is fascinating. Was Richard Sherman smart to negotiate his own contract? And we've got both Stephen A. and Max Kellerman with their first take. Depends if you think the most important thing is making money or if you define your happiness another way. Now, what, part of what Richard Sherman says I think is true and I agree with him about. Number one, some agents are good, some agents aren't good. You know, you can put anyone on a bell curve, any population on a bell curve, and some are on the far right-hand side and you go, boy, they're good at what they do and others are on the far, far left-hand side, they're bad and most of them are in the middle somewhere. And my assumption is the person that Richard Sherman, Stanford educated, would select to represent him would be one of the good ones because Richard Sherman's smart and savvy. But I don't know that this was the savvy move if his intention was to extract the most money out of the process. Mike Florio has pointed out that a qualified agent with years of experience likely would have gotten Richard Sherman more money. And I agree with that. I'm conflicted here. 
And the reason I'm conflicted is because I'm usually of the mindset that you can be too smart for your own good. Uh, that knowing so much, uh, putting yourself in a position where you're at the negotiating table, it could ultimately hurt you. Agents, even though all of them can't be trusted, and a lot of them are, you know, particularly when they have a plethora of clients, may not be exercising your best interest. They, be, they may be exercising somebody else's. Or you never know what kind of relationships they have with the team and how uh, that can convolute or, or you know, compromise rather uh, them, you know, serving your agenda uh, to the umph degree. I, I I'm of the mindset that you're usually best having a big time agent, a qualified agent that knows what the hell they're doing. And more importantly, care about you and care about themselves and their own ego enough where they're going to get the absolute best deal possible for you. Come hella high water. Having said that, I do think there are aberrations that exist. And I think that Richard Sherman has the potential to be that individual. There is no doubt that he could have gotten more money. There is no question about that. There is no doubt that this is a deal favorable to the San Francisco 49ers as opposed to him. Okay, lot to unpack here. That was first take again. This is pregame.com's Don't Bet On It. I'm RJ Bell, Steve Cofield. Steve, I've got a list of subtopics here. I'm going to run down and get your thoughts on each. (laughs) So one, it seems like no one's debating that he got less money. That if somehow the goal of playing professional football is money, then he got a bad contract. Now, what other goal could there be? Like in a contract? I mean, I guess you could say, well, guaranteed money versus not length of the contract. But just when they say less money, they're kind of blending it all together and say, because, you know, he's got incentives and all that. But you're saying, okay, what's the reasonable chance they're making the Pro Bowl? You project out how much that bonus is worth. And net net, he has a contract that's less money. Do you debate that? And if not, then are, is there even a debate if he's made a mistake or not? I don't think there can be a debate unless he had no other offers, which I think he, he was But everyone's going, saying he, was, he could make more money even just from the one team. Meaning this wasn't like they offered it to the, they sat in a room apparently for seven hours going back and forth, back and forth. Well, then I'm not sure what he did because uh, it's a $39 million deal. And again, I'm not a contract lawyer, but most of what we talk about is guaranteed money. Cause you can be cut at any time. And of the 39, three and a half million is guaranteed. And I, and I understand maybe his motivation was, Hey, the one team I'm really attracted to is a team that can help me get back at the old guys. Right. I want to be in the division, but you had to take three and a half guaranteed out of 39 possible. Except in his own account of this, that was in the Players' Tribune, is that what it's called? He said he committed to Seattle to give them the right of first refusal. So once he negotiated this contract, Sherman, with the 49ers, he said he walked in and called Seattle and said, do you want to match this? And they said no. So on one hand... You could make the case the fact he got a contract Seattle wouldn't match says it's not so bad because it was you don't think so. I don't agree with that. I think Seattle didn't want him for, at all. For, I and mean, it, for free. It basically. was just perfunctory to say, yeah. hey, give us a chance. We're to match. moving on. OK, but they did apparently say, hey, we want a chance to match, which could be like you said, them trying to make it less jarring that they want to cut him. Right. All right. So if it was so much, I want to get back at Seattle. Then that was his only goal. Why give? He didn't have any obligation, Sherman, to give them a right to match it. By them, it's almost like you know. <laughs> I'm actually rewatching Sex in the City 
with my wife. And I'm a fan of that show. You know, back in the day, people don't realize that that was before the Sopranos even. And a lot of the, you know, ribald stuff, the, you know, the sex and all that was really new to TV. And, uh, but at one point there was literally a guy that liked uh, Miranda, who now is running for the governor of New York, right? Cynthia um, Nixon. And he's actually having sex with another girl. Miranda calls him up and says, hey, I'm thinking about taking you back. He says yes when he's in her. And then apparently when he goes and talks to her after, he says, oh, I didn't even finish. I just pulled out and left. So Wait, tie the, please tie this to Richard Sherman because I like it's, the story. I want to hear how this comes together. It's like Sherman is, is ready to enter the promised land, and he gets on the phone, and he says, oh, by the way, Seattle, are you really sure you don't want me? Right? And, it's, it's and, just, and Seattle says no, and he says, all right, hangs up the phone, sighs, and goes at it. It's just a super <laughs> weird breakup where they want to be respectful of each other, but they both know. No, do you think over. Sherman wants to be respectful of Seattle? I don't think he hates everyone with Seattle. He's been he's been uh, he, he the very act of giving them. Think about this it, by his own account by saying now maybe you're saying it, he could always be lying, but assuming he's telling the truth, Seattle could have said yes, we'll match it, and Sherman would have went to them. Right? You can't call up and and say. I mean, you can, but it wouldn't make any sense. Right? What do you have taken that deal? What a slap in the face type deal. That's what I'm saying. And Seattle saying no. So I get now maybe he's got some real vigor and ire, but he didn't have it before this negotiation. We need more interviews with this guy. <laughs> Seriously, we got to get to the root of this. All right. So let's talk about some of the stuff that could make sense to do it yourself or at least do it differently. Number one. The agent's interests are not always aligned with the player because you don't know what deals they've got going on. Hey, I'll give you this guy cheap. Mm-hmm. You give me more on this guy because he's getting a higher percentage with this guy. Sure. Who knows? Same agent handling John Gruden and Jack Del Rio. Yeah, you just don't <laughs> know what's going on. But the point is the good agents and Sherman's still at the level we could get a really good agent. They're going to mostly be aligned, especially if you're a smart client that's going to hold their Hold them more accountable. So it feels like Sherman, if you're a low-level player, maybe it's a concern that Sherman's trying to somehow avoid, but I don't think Sherman has that concern about misaligned interests. Number two, agents will often not give proper attention, and Stephen A. was talking about that. This happens in Hollywood all the time. Is they And we see it, you know, in a way, Entourage represents it pretty well. Is Drama's always trying to get his agent to call him back. Because right? an agent's figuring, hey, I've got you signed to this contract. If you're willing to stick with me without me paying much attention to you, you're like a free roll. If you get some offer, I'll jump in and negotiate and take my percentage. But I'm not going to work really hard to get you jobs. But once again, Sherman could avoid that. With a player like him, he's going to get the agent's attention. So not a problem Sherman would have. So... Here's my question that is even more uh, critical of Sherman. A lot of guys will hire a super attorney at like 900 an hour, like crazy high amounts. But literally that attorney has all the knowledge associated with these contract negotiations and stuff. And you might end up paying them 30 K, but instead of 10% of a $30 million contract, it's a great deal. 
Sherman didn't even have that. So isn't this obviously ego? Can I come over the top? You can try. Okay. With a defense of Sherman, is there a chance that Sherman and John Lynch, who's a new GM, we, we're, we're both going to be ignorant coming in? <laughs> basically, they have a handshake deal, and it is guaranteed that he played John Lynch, and that's why he's so willing to come in and help the team. Hey, the Patriots do this, right? Hey, let's push it off down the road. Now, I wouldn't trust Belichick as far as I could throw him, but obviously there are some guys who trust him. What if Sherman has a virtual guarantee? Hey, you know what? You're going to get at least half or 70% of this. I promise. I give you my word, but we can't tell the NFL. Why? Like, what are they gaining from that? What are they gaining? Yeah. More flexibility for other players. Hey, Except I want, we, my we need end, to win. And again, I'm no salary cap expert, but I was listening to the uh, football podcast on The Ringer. Apparently, San Francisco had like $100 million to spend. Like, they're looking to spend money. Plus, I get people will cheat even if there's extreme consequences. But if you actually make side deals like that, like future ownership and all that, that's something these leagues take very seriously. I'm not talking future ownership. Yeah, I'm but I'm saying any kind of deal. Gonna, you, we know you're recovering from Achilles, an Achilles tear. Uh, we're guaranteeing and this doesn't two, make it. two thirds. What are they gaining? And and here's the thing is if Sherman, I, the, ver- the basic premise of this, of Sherman's actions, is he doesn't trust the man. There's a machine out there, and the players are getting ground up. But even though they're making a lot of money, they're not making what they should. Allah, and this isn't a, a perfect example because in the '60s, a lot of the you know R and B type in The Sopranos had an episode where there's a great singer from the early '60s, but Hash, uh, you know, screwed him out of his money, right? And a lot of those guys that made amazing hits, they signed around their signed away their publishing rights. They didn't really realize it. The sense is the narrative is. And didn't ESPN just recently, was it NBA they were saying is like slavery? They, like there was a, what was that? I don't know specifically. You don't remember that? No. I, I just read a headline, like, yeah. you know, heat from ESPN about calling, you know, such and such league slavery. Right. This idea, because on one hand, a lot of people in middle America, a lot of people in a lot of places are going to say, wait a minute, they're making more in a year than I'm going to make in my life. How is that so bad? Now, I do see the other side, which is if they deserve X and they're only getting 0.7 X, even though 0.7 X is a lot, they deserve X. That's an interesting conversation. Now, calling it slavery seems to be pretty extreme, but that's an interesting conversation. I think Sherman's basic premise is I'm smart. I went to Stanford and I'm not going to let you got because any agent I get probably is in on the game and I'm on the outside. Is that the guy that's going to take a handshake deal? So I think you're going too high level. I, I am buying from the Stanford grad. Come on. Are we buying? I, I think he's a smart guy, but are we buying every grad of Stanford or Duke or Notre Dame or the Ivy league? They're super savvy well, with their money. This is my next topic. They could, like you said, there could also be an ego. I actually, I think part of there's an ego involved in a handshake deal. Hey, no one else has given me love. John Lynch, a former player, is telling me there's some guaranteed money here. By the way, John Lynch is the same guy who gave Jimmy Garoppolo $27.5 million. They didn't have to do that. What do you mean they didn't have You think as we see these other contracts sign? You think if they offered him 20 Who would you rather vote? have? Who would you rather have right now, Jimmy G 
or Kirk Cousins? Well, I want Jimmy G. Okay. And how much but did Cousins get guaranteed? He got 24. But that wasn't whoa, known whoa, whoa, whoa. at the time. All of Cousins is guaranteed. So it's like 70 whatever. And Kirk Cousins actually has a, a body of but work. But you just Jimmy said Garoppolo you would rather Jimmy none. G. Well, you're I'd rather have Jimmy G, but I don't know if I want to give him $27.5 million but a year when but he guys played but like Cousins 10 games. But Cousins is getting triple as much guaranteed? I'm not worried about the guaranteed. Oh, we're talking about just the the annual. Yes. Okay. But the guarantee is, isn't that what we said is the point in the NFL? Well, let's uh, let's also look at it. There, is there any way the Niners thought that someone would offer $84 million, whatever it was? It's, it's actually upwards of 27. Well, I'll so. tell you this. The Niners would have never signed Jimmy G for that if he was on the open market. It would have cost much more. Do you think he would go to the open market? Did you market? hear this? Yes. Because they had a chance to franchise him this right, year. Right. So they had some leverage yep. on him. Right. So th- there's Which no- makes my point even stronger. No, it, like they were bent it, over a barrel to give them freaking five years and no, 27 it, and a half. It makes the point that they believe strongly in this case, San Francisco, that he was worth more on the open market. They were willing to trade, not franchising him to get him locked up for a little bit less. And as these other deals, you know, this is something, again, the ringer has been great with the um, free agency stuff with the salary cap stuff. They say every quarterback that signs at the top of the market is going to set a new standard. And that by the time we get to this time next year, that standard might be 40 million a year that Jimmy G would have signed, which would open a whole new conversation, but I won't go there. Belichick got a second round pick for that guy. Oh boy. (laughs) Well, back to the idea. When quarterbacks are getting guaranteed money. Back to the idea that the jets gave up three second round picks to move up. They gave up three Jimmy G's. I mean, come on. And then the irony is Jimmy G goes and wins a bunch of games, which makes that second round pick worse. All right, let's continue as we end this topic uh, on a couple key ones. Cofield, you brought up a good point. Let's assume generously, perhaps, that Sherman's native IQ, his intrinsic intelligence, is equal to the very best agents. You get the best agents out there. And him and say, even intellects. But the agents went, got their MBA or got their law degree, most of them, one or the other. The agents went, and even the really brilliant ones interned, they were getting coffee, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe some moved up fast, and by 29, they had their own agency, but still, year after year grinding. The idea that Sherman is saying, hey, I'm smart too. But ignoring all of the, you know, literally decades of work, the 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell, and he was bragging about, I downloaded some contracts from the, did you read this from the database of the NFL players and read the language to get a feel for it? Oh my God. (laughs) This is the equivalent, I'm going to defend myself, you know, in a murder trial or some serious charge. And again, if you're, even if you're a great lawyer, they don't defend themselves. Yeah, it, but I tell you this, I, I'm pretty hard on this decision, but why why aren't Max and Stephen A. crushing him? Like, what is the defense? They almost were like, yeah, we're going to concede the point. It was very smart. They're both great debaters, right? They're like, totally concede the point that it wasn't a good deal, but then we're going to talk in some vaguely positive sense about it. Are agents that scummy? Because those two guys are the level of media, not all media for folks who are listening, have agents representing them. Those guys clearly have agents. They've got, you know, a bunch of different 
revenue streams. Are agents that bad? I think it's back to this idea of the machine. And I'll tell you this. I bet the agents hate this because, (laughs) and here's why there is a conspiracy. There is a industrial complex here and they are trying to bleed these players, right? Cause in theory, okay, you're going to get 50%. What's the NBA? Is that 50 now? If I'm remembering right, some percentage you're saying even higher. And then they're going to say, okay, though, we're going to have in our ecosystem, these agents, it's going to take their percentage and the managers are going to take their percentage. And then you always hear them saying, and then the government takes their 40 and all of a sudden that 15 million ends up being, you know, 6 million. Now, not that 6 million isn't a lot, but now if you're lending your brother-in-law money to start a car wash, I mean, the amount of players that go bankrupt and I know Sports Illustrated, I think it was, did something. It's been, what, maybe even four years ago now. It was a crazy percentage of players that go bankrupt. Something's wrong with this industrial complex. And I do think if you're a player and you feel like that the system's against you, you're probably right. I just don't think this is the way to combat that. Could I just go? He said he looked up contracts. Could I just go and look at average deals? Just in general, over the last two years, and just go percentage of overall deal where I get the guaranteed money. Like, what is it? Is it thirty three percent? Because one thirteenth ain't it. I've I've never heard of you know. I mean, at least that's what I can't wrap my head around. I'm sure his retort, Sherman's, would be, "I'm confident." And here's the thing: is if they would, let's give an example. Let's say they thought. Let's say just keep it simple. Making the Pro Bowl is the sign you succeeded, that you had a heck of a year. And they said, you got two choices. We think the odds of you making the Pro Bowl are 50%. We either give you $10 million guaranteed or $20 million if you make the Pro Bowl, zero otherwise. I know you couldn't do that contract, but let's just keep it really simple. If he felt like his chance of making the Pro Bowl was 70%, he'd be smart to take the $20 million bet that he's getting plus 100 at even money he thinks he's going to win 70% of the time. But it doesn't seem like he even got... It seems like if a reasonable amount of this deal was guaranteed, the amount is right. Now, if the amount were 30% higher, but had a bunch of guarantees in, or a bunch of bonuses in it, then you could say he's betting on himself. But in a way, he's doing a reverse free roll. He's saying, if everything goes right, I'll get what I deserve. And if it doesn't, I won't. But I do think the takeaway, and we're going to change or move on here is the players are right to think the systems against them. And I think Sherman might, you might look back and say, this was a horrible decision on his part, but it started a conversation about how can the players extract themselves from the game? You know, there's a famous line in the wire and it's a great line. And it's actually from Lieutenant Daniel's wife. She goes, if he can't win the game, don't play the game. And I think this is a game that these players are, at least when it comes to, once they have the money, the way it's being whacked up is against them. And and I think trying to beat that is, or, or change that is a great idea. This doesn't feel like the way. Pregame.com. I'm RJ Bell talking with the hot take, hot shot, Steve Cofield. Really good show so far. Next up, Steve, you're going to, Take the lead, I think, on this one. It's a little more 
typical talk radio. Rick Patino, he was interviewed, uh, Washington Post, about his current situation. And the guys from PTI had some, I think, surprising comments about it. She steadfastly maintains he was in no way involved with offering money to attract a high school recruit. Patino says, quote, I'm not on any wiretap. There's not a shred of evidence that I did anything wrong. I have my faults like we all do, but I've never cheated to get a player. Close quote. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to go to the guilt or innocence of Rick Patino right now. Was there scandal in Providence? I don't think so. No. Was there scandal in Kentucky? No. I don't think so. He was cleaning up scandal it's in very, Kentucky. It's a very forceful story. It's a very forceful story. He was cleaning up scandal at Kentucky? I mean, once again, if they were the agents for Patino, would it have sounded any different? That was absurd. <laughs> go, baby. You know, we talked about the naivete of the media, or at least they're being disingenuous around the Sean Miller alleged offer of money to DeAndre Ayton. And people are like, oh, my God, as if this isn't happening all over the place. Like, how do you think you get DeAndre Ayton by beating out the other offers? So how can... How can someone as savvy as those two guys listen to Patino or read quotes? I've never been caught or I'm not on a wiretap. Okay. That doesn't mean you didn't do it. There's not a shred of evidence. Again, doesn't mean you didn't do it. You're just good at it. But then they're defending him, talking about him being like cleaning things up in his prior jobs. And again, you can't stop one, one <laughs> just for one second. We are trusting the morality of Rick Pitino, who early on in his Louisville stint banged out a side piece at an Italian <laughs> restaurant, got her pregnant. Is that a Billy Joe sign? I don't know. Yeah, it should have been. Right? <laughs> Scenes from an Italian restaurant. Rick Pitino. And then without any shame. Th- th- see, this is a, the pattern of behavior with Slick Rick. Without any shame, his lawyer goes into court. And he's like, he couldn't have impregnated her. The sex only lasted 15 seconds. Like, he is so conditioned to coming up with excuses and lies, there's no shame. Kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine, like jet flag, son of a gun. <laughs> Think about what happened here. He was involved in Louisville over six or seven years. He had an assistant setting up whores to come in, hookers to come in and have sex with recruits. They just get clear of that, and now there's allegations they got nabbed trying to pay off Brian Bowen to come to the school. I mean, how many times do you have to have allegations? This is like, you know what this is This is analogous to is the Pac-Man Jones defenders. Like, he's never done anything because he's never been convicted. Yeah, but if you get arrested 13 times, you're not somehow an innocent victim who has bad luck. Like, Rick Pitino doesn't have bad luck. Here's the question. I'm going to ask you, <laughs> Fairfield. No, I love it. It's just hot. infuriating. Hey, it's not easy being a hot take hot shot. Here is my question. And the listeners, I want you to mentally come up with your answer. And Steve, you know, take a second or two to think. Give the listeners a chance. What uh, if God came down an authority and he said, okay, I know if Patino's innocent or not in this case. Like he just said like the PTI guys pretty much read and didn't push back on it would seem is if God came down and said, okay, I'm going to tell you in 10 minutes, if it's true or not, Patino is guilty or innocent in this case, what odds would you have to get to take not guilty? 
I would need 15 to 1, 18 to 1, and I'd start thinking about it. Not high enough. <laughs> so like 25 to 1, you'd start thinking about it. Not high enough. <laughs> there's not a shred of doubt. I, there's not even, I don't even hesitate. 100 to 1. Maybe. Sure, but I want more than that. <laughs> so think about it. You're saying, now some listeners might be saying 5 to 1, 10 to 1. Some might be saying 1,000 to 1. The idea that these guys on PTI would just read it and pretty much shrug and say, yeah, I'm not going to focus on the guilt or innocence. It's like it's back to this idea. There's an industrial complex, and that term was phrased by Eisenhower about the military industrial complex when he was leaving office, right, in 59, 60. Then, I guess 60. Then what happened was we've talked about it the political entertainment industrial complex with Trump, where there's a lot of obviously liberals, left leaners, progressives, however you want to say it in the media, but they, they feel ambivalent on one hand, they hate the policies. On the other hand, they realize ratings are through the roof because of this guy. And this is what a lot of the, 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 the progressives now are saying, indicting the New York times and even CNN. Hey, you put on all of Trump's rallies, real time streaming. It was $2 billion or whatever of free publicity. And you thought, Oh, if he wins the Republican nomination, no big deal. He doesn't have any chance to beat Hillary. You let the, you know, whatever out of the barn. And now we've got president Trump cause of that. Now, I'm not, again, the idea that Trump got favorable coverage, I, I think, is absurd. The fact that he got a ton of exposure is 100% obvious. The question becomes, though, is CNN a news organization or are they an entertainment company that gives you the news? And, you know, my wife, who is, you know, quite well-read, educated, she always talks about how, you know, the ba- in her opinion, the basic conflict of the news being for profit, it sets this up that ultimately, if you run a news organization, if you are running the New York Times and you think doing it, and let me ask you, Steve, you think doing it approach A is the right way, the ethical way, the best way for the country, but approach B makes you much, much more money. Right, but it's not illegal. It's not immoral. It's just you don't think it's best for the country. What do you do? You have a fiduciary responsibility to do B. Um, I'm on the financial side. Then we're doing B. Yeah. Well, I'm not that, on editorial. If it's only editorial, then I guess I'm going A. Now, I also could try to factor in, are we going to keep our jobs? Like, but, I but this whole idea of that Chinese, you make a great point, right? Oh, we can rationalize if we do it this way. We can hire people to do investigations on lead in the water or whatever, right? That's another rationalization, potentially. Also, though, you talk about the Chinese wall in newspapers and editorial and and advertising. There's no such thing as CNN, right? Those people might be head of content, but they're in the exact same meetings where they're being held accountable for the ratings, right? So now we look at sports and we know the leagues are in bed with the various networks and there's no network that's above that. And as much as I hate some of the blogs where there's very little accountability or, or, you know, capital J journalism, I do like the idea of 
We don't have access. We've got nothing to protect. We got no deals with the leagues. We're going to tell it the way it is. I think if that's done legitimately, that is so much better than any of the major sites that do have inherent conflicts. Wait, so are you building the case that ESPN partnering with the ACC, televising Louisville basketball, filters all the way down to the guys doing PTI and watch what you say about Rick Pitino? No, I think it's much more pervasive. I think, you know, there's a great, there's a movie called The Way of the Gun, which was an okay movie, but James Caan, right, Sonny Corleone, Santino was in it. And he was like maybe 65 at the time. It's been about, you know, 10 plus years. And he looks at a guy and says, you know what you can tell about an old guy? He's a survivor. You know he survived up to this point because he's here in front of you. What can you tell about someone sitting at the top of ESPN on the media personality side? You know, where we're not talking about John Skipper or whomever. We're talking about... I mean, the PTI guys are at the top, you know, right there at the top of the mountain, right? Stephen A. It means you know how to navigate a very complicated um, political institution. I mean, there's politics involved, bureaucracy at ESPN, at Fox, at anywhere. Be real careful about picking your spots. Yeah. It's, when it's you're like, going to go crazy. Why push, at, why push against the system? But do you have to do the opposite? The polar opposite? No. You can walk, you can walk the line and still give an opinion. Not because this this happens a lot. It happened with Sean Miller, too. Ooh, he said there's no truth to this. That was strong. I believe him. Like, come on, guys. You don't you don't believe him. Really? You believe Rick Pitino? Really? And, and what's funny is once they decide someone's a sacrificial lamb, meaning we can't we, we can't save this guy. Then they all go at him like well, you saw what happened with Sean Miller, right? Jay Billis and. And Vital, especially after protecting coaches across the board. And, oh, these guys don't, they don't know what's going on with these rogue assistants. When they thought they had Evans, they both went nuts on a Saturday morning. Yeah. He's never going to coach again. Because then it feels like they're not shows. And when someone gets thrown overboard, they get thrown overboard. And back to the wire, when you look at season four, and they talk about is even if someone loses an election, they just shut your mouth. You know, Richard Nixon. When Tricky Dicky, he felt there was a strong chance there was Ill- you know, illegal voting in, in Illinois. And Illinois decided the 60 election. And Joe Kennedy and Sam Giacana, there was a lot of connection with Joe, the old man, as they said, and Illinois, right? And the, and, and the, the, the bosses in, and again, the political bosses <laughs> in Illinois now Nixon also knew some other states. There were some shady stuff that probably benefited him. A lot of dead voters in West Virginia. And he also knew, he also knew, Nixon, that if he rocked the boat, and even if he won, he'd be like a lame duck president. And even if, and likely he wouldn't win, right? And look, where's Al Gore been since he rocked the boat? And now he's doing fine financially and all that, but politically, he's been out of it is you rock the boat, doesn't matter if you win or lose, they're going to make you pay. Nixon just got quiet. Nixon won, actually lost in 62 the governorship in New York. Think about that. A guy lost in 60. Imagine if someone, like if, if Mitt Romney in 2014 ran for Utah governor and lost. How buried would he be? And then Nixon came back and won in 68. Now, to me, that's an extreme case, but boy, 
Tell me one media guy that rocks the boat in a way that his bosses doesn't like that's been successful over even 10 years. You might be successful three or four years, but you rock the boat. It feels like it doesn't matter how good you are, you're out. Michael Smith and Jamel Hill rocking the boat. That didn't work. Yeah, that's a good example, right? And and if any, and here's the thing that's so tough. Disappointing, by the way. I'm not, I didn't. I didn't mean that. I didn't want to sound happy when I said that. No, but you were you were stating about the 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 truth of it. Yeah. And you think about it, ESPN gets it both ways. Whereas everyone's saying, "Hey, you're too," or not everyone. A lot of people are saying you're too liberal, right? Left leaning, whatever. Caitlyn Jenner, et cetera. And then a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Jamel Hill goes at the president, tells the truth. This is them, you know, she told the truth. And she gets, you know, demoted. Obviously, you know, objectively, it's hard to say otherwise. So <laughs> you can't win. In this political climate, it goes back to the my favorite story about this. 2012 Romney against Obama, obviously. Before the election, I did the odds. Oh, I'm sorry. Before the first debate, I did the odds. It was like 67% Obama. It wasn't my odds. I was just looking at the market and giving you a reading. After, and people may remember, Romney had a good debate by objective standards. It went down to 59%. So I tweet before, I tweet after, and they're like, you must love Romney. It's like, no, I'm telling you the odds that you can bet in Europe and offshore. But if you can't even give the odds without being political. So to me, that's what I love about don't bet on it. We don't talk politics. We talk cold cash, but we also talk pure logic. What's the logic of all this? Now, doesn't mean our logic is right, but we're not approaching this politically. We're approaching it using our analytical abilities, just like a handicapper. So does. your question four minutes ago, if you got Wilbon and Kornheiser off the air, do you think they would go in my direction and say, I need 25, 50 or hundred to one. They would both start laughing. I don't know either of those guys at all. I wonder what they would say off the air, off the record. You've got to wonder if it's even just subconscious. Just if you've been doing it for decades of just not blasting anyone in, in the club, yeah. you just kind of keep going at it. Because it wasn't like they were defending him. They were just like, I don't want to talk about that. Like, there's no upside. Sounds good us. to me. Yeah. Let's move on. There's no upside to <laughs> talk a clock. about it. We got to get to the next story in 60 seconds. Okay. <laughs> next topic. RJ Bell, Steve Cofield. Pregame.com. I love that. Oh, the boys. <laughs> but I don't know. Okay, next topic. Floyd in the MMA. A lot of you know by now, Steve Cofield, Hot Take Hot Shot. But also, many years he wrote for Yahoo. Big, big site, I think you can say, <laughs> about MMA and boxing. And the question is, will Floyd actually fight Floyd Mayweather in the MMA? And we got a guy, Stephen A., talking about it. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I don't believe it for one second. I don't give a damn about the news reports. I don't care if Floyd told me, called me right now and told me he was serious. He changed his mind. He didn't want to get hit when he was boxing. Well, what you going to do in the MMA? And oh, by the way, I would ask him to go and watch footage, Max, of Randy Couture when he fought James Tony, <laughs> who was a light heavyweight champion and was a cruiserweight champion or whatever. What did Randy Couture do before taking him out in a matter of seconds? He sat up there and acted like they was going to fight and then went low. Took him, got to, him the ground. to the ground and choked him. I mean, come on now. I mean, this is not what Floyd does to stop it. I don't believe it. I don't want to believe it. I don't want to hear it. I'll tell you something. 
I think Max has been so good for Stephen A because Max is a super bright guy and he does debate very analytically and it keeps Stephen A like it's like anything else, right? If you got two drunks at a party, they feed off of each other, <laughs> right? Is teasing ahead to our worst take of the week. You know, his former partner maybe brought out the worst, right? You could make the case. And just because it was so hot, so over the top. But with Matt, I've been watching First Take more for this show, for our Don't Bet On It. Stephen A is good. I mean, like, I don't agree with him. I'm probably 50-50 agreeing with him. But he's good at what he does. I I'm gonna, I got some real strong opinions on this one. I want to get you first, Cofield. On the possibility of Floyd actually fighting. Yeah, what's going on here? Floyd is the one talking about this. What's going on here? What's the possibilities? We actually got odds if the fight happens, you can share with And that's the Conor McGregor fight, who he beat in boxing. So McGregor opened in Vegas at minus 1,000. Was this Vegas? It was actually Vegas. One of the books in Vegas posted it. And the first two bets they got, of course, were on Floyd. Plus 650. Uh, now the number has been updated to minus 900. So Conor McGregor still a gigantic favorite if it happens before the end of the year and if it's mixed martial arts. Okay, so would you bet that? Would I bet minus 900? on What would you bet? Would you bet Con- either way? Conor McGregor. You'd lay the lumber. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard uh, you know, I do the local show here in Vegas with Adam Hill, who is really into mixed martial arts and covers boxing and he said for the review journal, Re- Las Vegas review journal in Las Vegas. That's why it's called Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> he said he'd go minus 2,500. True rod should be 3,000 or 3,500. And that was the same thing in the boxing match. The boxing match, the true rod should have been probably 2,500 or 3,000, but no one bet it at that number. And eventually it came down with, you know, the dog money. Well, no, I tell you this though, there's two ways to look at that boxing match. One was that McGregor exceeded expectations by at least a hundred percent. And it's still hard to see how he could have won. So in a weird way, it makes your point of how steep the odds were. Because McGregor exceeded expectations greatly. And still, it's hard to imagine how he could have won that. I would actually argue that the fact that Mayweather allowed it to go on, put him he put himself at a little bit of risk. I think in a mixed martial arts fight, I don't think Conor McGregor is going to take any risks. And I think he's going to kick him and then get him down and he can choke him out. There was still a puncher's chance. Something could happen. You know so much more me about boxing, but I let me understanding I'm the underdog here. Let me give the t- a different take on that Mayweather fight. I thought it was he created an environment. First of all, I think Mayweather is a, is a native genius. Like when I say native, I mean he, he. I mean I don't know. Is he real? I mean you probably have insight. Is he truly illiterate? Like can he? Re- <laughs> I mean can he like read like a? Could he read the catcher in the rye? I don't know. You don't I know, know he got caught. I mean, the reading. rumors are he can't read. Well, he actually got caught doing a, a couple of reads, you know, some promotional reads for a station in New York and was just a mess. And then they mocked on him by playing it. So, but I don't know, you know, but, but to your point, uh, and I don't mean to sound like an a-hole here, but he, in, if you want to say street smarts, he's obviously a brilliant marketer. No, no. I, I think he's, it's more street. I, I think it's more than street smarts, right? Street smarts are, you figure a way to Kramer style. And again, obviously there's drugs and illegal things you can do with street smarts, right? But you also could say, oh, look, in Michigan, they give 10 cents a bottle 
with the returns. Mm-hmm. Here it's only a nickel. I'm going to middle the deal because I can rent a truck and, you know, Kramer style. People remember, right? He goes, I've done the math. You can't do it. <laughs> Is, I'm talking about in the history of boxing. He has left with a high. Forget that he's made more money. That's marketing brilliance. But hasn't he left with a higher percentage of the overall game? I mean, there's a bunch of ways to grade the business savvy of a fighter. One is how much money was generated for the whole thing. Like how much money was made? How much money did he take away? Mm -hmm. I think in both cases, he's the number one fighter of all time. He's the greatest athlete of all time in terms of getting the take. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, he changed the system. That's a good point, right? Is He did know, what Richard Sherman would like to do. Yeah, Tom Brady. Wow, that's good. You closed the circle, yeah, baby. Yeah. So this isn't, oh, he's kind of clever. He's thinking on another level that no one else has been. And no other man, meaning someone could have went with Ali. Someone could have went with whomever. And said, let me do, trust me enough to do this, and I'll change the system for you. All the Harvard MBAs, no one's ever done it till Mayweather did it, right? So that, again, we can talk, if we're going to say, oh, he's a domestic abuser, so you can't say anything nice about him. No, that's not the way it is here. We can separate that from, nice, hey, brilliant. Charles, yeah, Charles Manson wrote, it sounds crazy, he wrote a hell of a song. The Beatles were going to record one of his songs, Right. And it doesn't mean he wasn't a murderer, but he wrote apparently some good songs. So we're just going to tell it the way it is on Don't Bet On It. But to me, I think Mayweather in that fight, however much of a genius he is as a businessman, he, he's a greater genius as a boxer, wouldn't you say? Yes. He's strat- I mean, you understand the strategy better he's a, than I He's did. a brilliant defensive fighter. He's the most calm dude in every fight. Everyone else is all, you know, tightening up, and he looks like he's just out there relaxed. Now, isn't, what they, isn't that what they said about Fedor? That, mm-hmm. that his strongest suit was when the pressure was on, he, he stayed calm? All great fighters, but Floyd's above just about every fighter ever. But that's a, a different skill set. So he's got his physical skills, mm-hmm. how quick he was and is to some degree, right? Number two is how hard he trained. Right, which was special, wouldn't you say? Never loses discipline. Okay, so that's another great quality. Number three is calmness in the ring. But I think there's another one. Come and I watched some of those twenty four sevens. What this is his biggest skill. Is twenty four sevens the promotional end of it? Well, no that that's another one, right? And that helped the purse. But I was talking about how when you actually heard his dad and him talk for real, and his uncle and him talk for real. It was how they thought about approaching the fight, the strat, the game plan. His game plans were, did he ever have a bad game plan? Yes, once. When? Against Miguel Cotto. And that's when his dad wasn't around and it was just his uncle. And Floyd fought a more offensive fight and let himself get caught on the ropes. And it was a little more physical. That was about it. About the only, fu- the only fight. A, what was his chance of losing that fight? Even with that error, let's call it. Not very much. But again, you're talking about an all-time great boxer in Cotto. And he got a little too physical with him. Maybe it was Floyd saying, I don't mind getting beat up a little bit here because it sells the next fight. Possibly. right? Because the the narrative was, and and I've been in the media in town enough where I've gone to more than a handful of these fights. It's always like, oh, another Mayweather fight. And everyone acts like they're bored. But then that's the fight. You know, the energy around those was better than anything. But there was a point it felt like, and you know this better than me, he was dominating so much 
that that it was starting to hurt to take. There was a fight with Robert Guerrero, like one of the first fights on the Showtime contract where he got guaranteed money, where the pay-per-views went way down. And then after that. When, he when he was the Cotto after that, relative to that? He goes before it. Okay, okay. But you might be right. I'll look it up. Yeah, it's interesting. It may, it may have been for marketing purposes. But to your, I mean, are you building towards the point that, like a lot of people believe, he dragged Conor McGregor along to make it a more interesting fight so that maybe he's setting up something down the road? I don't even know about that. I think... I think there's two things. I think you're right. Or, or what you're saying is generally what I think, but two distinctions. One is I think it not only extended the fight, but it guaranteed he would win. Meaning if you let him almost like the, you know, we always hear about the rope a dope, but then it's kind of, once he did it once, all he couldn't really, well, he kept doing it, but it didn't really work as well. This was like a different rope a dope where he would be out there boxing with him, letting him punch himself out where it looks competitive, knowing he didn't have the endurance. So it would be impossible for him to lose unless he was going to get knocked out, which probably wasn't going to happen. Once you let that guy punch himself out, as long as you've got enough rounds left to win. Right. And it wasn't an interesting. He switched gears right at the point. And I can't remember the math, but what was it? it was after four or five rounds and he wasn't trying to lose those early rounds. He was just doing it in a way where, hey, if it's four rounds to two after six, he's OK, because there's no chance of McGregor winning any round after seven. Right. Isn't that exactly what happened? Yes. So didn't it make it where he almost couldn't lose and it would look more competitive, which maybe isn't about the future, but about his legacy of that 50th win not being a sham. And a lot of people were going to complain about the fight if it turned out to be, you know, a two round knockout. And that's not what happened was everyone said, wow, that was competitive. And think, and I said this on your show 10 times and people didn't really agree with it. The McGregor fight was the most brilliant thing I've ever seen in sports. He guaranteed himself the 50th win, which was so important to him, made the most money he could with the least chance of losing. How brilliant is that? He couldn't have made, if he would have fought, Good. No, if he would have fought, who he couldn't have, like Triple G, he wouldn't have made as much no, money. Any boxer he faces who's somewhat in their prime is a risk, and they, he wouldn't have made as much box. money. And he wouldn't have made anywhere near the money. This was max money. And you're right, the the Canelo fight the second time around, another Pacquiao fight may have come close, but probably not. But a lot more risk, and there's a lot more risk. Okay, so <laughs> so all of this, why is this guy now talking about MMA? I have a plan. I have a theory. He's never going to do it. I will lay 20 to win a dollar. He never does it. Like minus 2,000. Does what? He, they never no fight. No mixed martial a, arts or no Conor McGregor? No mixed martial arts. Because there are some people who believe he will do mixed martial arts, but it's not to fight Conor McGregor. But my understanding is the UFC is so deep. If you took the 20th guy in his weight class, would kill him. That's not who the matchup would be against. Now, I don't know how they would do this. Oh, from a weight no, if he, if he fought someone who wasn't an MMA fighter? No, he's an MMA fighter, but he's not a good MMA fighter. Yeah. You know the wrestler CM Punk? Okay. CM Punk's got another fight coming up. He got smeared the first time. He's got a fight against a lesser opponent, a guy named Mike Jackson. If he beats Mike Jackson, could they actually try this and sell it? CM Punk against Floyd Mayweather, could they do it? But here's the question. CM Punk, my understanding is he's been training for real. You don't think so? He has, but he stinks. Okay, but... Do we think Mayweather's be- who would let's just say that that fight happens? What do you put the odds at? The true odds, not to split the action. What's the true odds? <laughs> we were talking about this the other day. It was a good argument. Um, I'd still make Mayweather the favorite. Wow. 
My gut feeling wouldn't have been that. So I don't know, though. You know a lot more about this. Than I mean, that. I have no belief. When, when Mayweather says publicly, I'm a 7 out of 10 with my wrestling, Floyd, you're not a 7 out of 10. Cut it out. There's no way you – he's a great athlete. Great athlete. There's no way you're a 7 out of 10 with the wrestling. But there is – anytime the boxer meets the MMA fighter, and nice job by Stephen A. referencing the 2010 fight with Couture and Tony, there is still a chance – with the four-ounce gloves, that someone on the way in can catch you. And Floyd Mayweather obviously is a brilliant fighter with good power against a guy like CM Punk. He could catch him if he can't get him down. Here's why I don't think it happens, the rap. Mayweather is perfect. He's undefeated. Any risk of being beat, even in MMA... It, someone He can stand up there and say, I'm undefeated. And they can say, yeah, but when you really fought, you got beat. And the whole MMA versus boxing, there's still a debate right now. The guys in the know understand what would happen. But you go on the street and ask 100 people, best boxer versus best MMA, I still think there's 30 or 40% that's going to say maybe the boxer. right? No one that knows anything. If he goes and has to go down to a guy like CM Punk, in a way he lost before the fight starts, right? I think this is just him, one, loving the attention. He's getting it for free. And two, he looks badass by even considering it. If you think he's legit, imagine there's a guy at the end of the bar and you tell me, hey, this guy actually is uh, the seventh rated MMA guy in the world heavyweight. If I, if you legitimately thought I was thinking of going and picking a fight with him, wouldn't you think, boy, RJ's tougher than I thought, <laughs> right? Even if I didn't fight him. Right? Well, RJ's drunk. <laughs> yeah, he, or he's stupider than I thought. But I think it's Mayweather saying, oh, maybe I would. And then at the end, what he'll probably say, and I'm predicting it, oh, there's not enough money in this. Because if he did fight McGregor, how much money would be in it? Oh. I mean, I don't think it would be near as much as was in the boxing side. No, it would. It would? It would, yeah. I think it could make as much or more. Because shows like Stephen A. and Max... It's made for those types of shows. Can I give you a grand conspiracy theory here uh, on the side of, hey, he's never going to fight mixed martial arts. What if he's doing this all as a favor to help Dana White and the UFC just to kind of keep them afloat? Because they got nothing going on right now in terms of. Is that the right phrase? Keep them afloat? Keep them. Well, afloat with the mainstream media. Okay. They're they're fine financially, but no one is talking about mixed uh, UFC fighters right now on these shows. The last two weeks, they're talking about this. So did, I'll give you, did I'll they give you a little, get a, did they get along well during the the ramp up? Yes, Dana White. And yes, him? and the, well, the, and look at how quickly the fight was made. Not not the, over the period of time, but the financials came together pretty quickly. Remember how, how contentious it was between Floyd and Bob Arum and Pacquiao? It's like it's on, it's off, it's all the threats. They got it done. But here's here's the rub. I don't Mayweather Promotions is not really a real promotional company. They have no infrastructure. There's no bodies below. The bosses. So Dana White wants to get into boxing. He wants to start something called Zufa Boxing, right? Zufa was the parent company of UFC. There was a story today out of the UK that Zufa Boxing is going to offer Anthony Joshua giant heavyweight, right? $500 million. So mm-hmm. what if there was some sort of boxing promotion where Dana White and Floyd Mayweather are working together? Wow, that's fascinating. Now, this is totally out of left field, but... It just sounds so great. I just want to hit hit it out there real quick. We know Dana White learned from wrestling, right? Would you again? You know Dana, 
not that you have inside info on everything, would you, obviously they tried to figure out what Vince McMahon does right and emulate some of it, right? 100%. Okay. What happened in wrestling when you had a great talker who got too old to wrestle? Becomes a manager, right? And then what happened in the 90s, which was factions, which was owning the company, you know, Mr. McMahon. Mm -hmm. What happens if Floyd came in and said, and forget the mathematics, the finances, but somehow I'm investing 50 million and I'm going to have my fighter. Like there's the Mayweather fighters. And now you got McGregor who apparently, I mean, what's, what's with McGregor. I get that. He thinks there's more money to be made in boxing. Why won't, why isn't he fighting? Because I think he, I'm going to use the word spoiled, but it's not, he, he saw the market. He got over a hundred million dollars. He was making 15, $12 million a fight. He just got a hundred. So now he wants, now he either wants some ownership, which he has the right to ask for. He's not going to get it. Or I want like 30 million or 40 million a fight. So he's holding out. So right now in a reasonable weight class, as in someone he could reasonably fight. I get you could cut weight like crazy. Where's he at in the world in, in amongst the people he could fight? The two best fighters in his weight class. He's the champ. The two best fighters in his weight class, Tony Ferguson and Khabib Nurmagomedov, are meeting in April in Brooklyn. Would both of them be favored over Easily. him? Easily. Nurmagomedov might be minus 300. So really, the at this point... But no one knows those guys. And, that, exactly. and Connor's, he, has, he said it. He kind of hasn't said it. He hasn't destroyed them, but it's like, why am I coming back? Especially if you're going to get beat. So the only guy he he should uh, well, there's two guys he can come back and fight. George St. Pierre, who's got a big reputation, you know, big uh, higher weight, older, so all right, and older. But yeah, I'm going to go up to 170. I, I fight at 155. Or the guy who actually beat him, Nate Diaz. But now, I, what's the Diaz odds right now if they fought? And both were trained properly, uh, fully. I think Diaz would be a slight favorite. So that's a good, so that one, at least you could make the case because you're right. If you fight in a way where you're going out of your way to do something that's to your detriment, losses don't mean as much. Right. right? So, and the Diaz, he went up in weight class for that the first time, right? There was something that made that fight unusual the first time. He did. He went up to 170. Yeah. So, but, but I love your manager idea. How wild would it be if Mayweather had his faction Mm -hmm. and McGregor had his, because McGregor's one of the great talkers in the history of sports, right? Mm -hmm. How great would that be if they got their guys instead of Mayweather? I, you know, Mayweather's 41 years old. If he's going to do anything, he's going to box. I think it could happen. I'm telling you, I, I don't think that Floyd is like the boxing thing on Floyd's side promoting has not taken off the way he wanted it to because boxing is kind of dropping down. So why not partner with this great marketer, Dana White? And in that case, hell, if they go as far as, hey, Dana doesn't have to be out front speaking and promoting as much. He can work behind the scenes and Floyd can be the guy out front. What can Floyd do? He can be the Don King. I mean, think about it is if Floyd is the mouthpiece and he obviously is a marketing genius, even if, if he got paid, let's just call it 20 million a year, it would keep Floyd in the limelight. Wouldn't that be a good 20 million spent by Dana White if Floyd's involved in every pay-per-view? Yes. I think you're shooting low though. I think he would find a way to get a cut. Of just about every show he was involved in. Yeah, or maybe he ends up putting in fifty million and he gets sure. you know ownership at you know at friends and family. Fifteen twenty years of continued yeah. revenue. Wow, that would be now I would get involved. I mean, I've always enjoyed the and that's what's funny about the UFC. Let me ask you one last question. If there was a way for me to spend eight hours and learn about like the history of the UFC, you know how like you go to a site and it's like uh day trading, and they've got day trading one oh one, and they teach you how to do it and the basics. I have no, I I feel like I'm behind. It's almost like used to be with TV shows. If it's the fourth season of NYPD Blue, 
how do you catch up? Well, now with streaming, you just start at the beginning and go on. Shouldn't there be like a like a, a collection of 25 hours that they put up on Netflix somehow and make a deal with Netflix where it's like after you watch these 25 hours, you are caught up in what's happened in the world of the UFC. Because well, right now I don't even know. Like I just know enough to know some of these names. They have their own streaming service where you could go and get all the fights. They've got but the you whole wouldn't even know which fights to watch, would you? Probably the best thing would be, I think they have a list of, they did a long list of 100 best fighters of all time. Taking mm. a while to watch it, but then yeah. you get an idea, because you'd be taken through history about the greatest fights and fighters. So they're trying to do something like the WWE with the over-the-top net, or the uh, the network where they want to go directly and build directly. They've basically modeled it after the WWE. It's been successful, but not as big as WWE yet, because, because wrestling, I think, has nailed it with, can't you, uh, you get pay-per-views you get as part of the package. WrestleMania, I think eventually what UFC has to go to. But they're also, they're not making all the decisions, UFC, because now it's owned by WME and IMG, and I forget what they rebranded it, but they're owned by an entertainment company, so maybe they're not ready to get rid of pay-per-view. And remember, in pay-per-view, typically, the pay-per-view company keeps like half. It's a terrible deal. And some of the shows now are down to, you know, 100,000, where a bad one used to be 400,000 buys. Pregame.com, Steve Cofield, an expert in fighting, let's call it. I'm RJ Bell. Quickly, Triple G, Canelo, a <laughs> lot of back and forth here. <laughs> let's keep up with the conspiracy theory. One, set it up, Cofield. But number two is, I can't remember who it was, but they were saying this is potentially brilliant marketing. The idea that, um, hey, this controversy about the PEDs, could be a real driver for the fight itself and potentially set up the third fight. Exactly. So what are we looking at now? Three weeks ago, Canelo tested positive for clenbuterol, shortened clen. The claim was, hey, it's in Mexican meat all the time. I got a bad steak. Right? Vada says within the allowable limit, he's cleared. People are flipping out. Uh, Triple G yesterday said, again with the Mexican meat, come on. I told you, it's not Mexican meat. This is Canelo. This is his team. This is his promotion. Canelo is cheating. They're using these drugs, and everybody is just trying to pretend it's not happening. And he wants them checked on a lie detector. <laughs> Let's check him on a lie detector, and then we can find out everything. So we wouldn't be talking about this fight if it wasn't for this, right? Not for one second. So is this, is, <laughs> is, is this all a work? Uh, no, I don't think it's a work. But I, I found it funny earlier today. I saw pictures of uh, the people are ISOing like little pimples on Canelo's stomach from past <laughs> weigh-ins. I'm like, there we go. It, it just feels like that. Like, what's the downside? Because most people don't think PEDs are that bad, right? Yeah. At baseball, just because of the the stats, I think, right? People hate that Roger Maris got beat or whatever. So or Hank Aaron. So this just feels like a chance to one is is whatever ends up happening. I guess wouldn't this though, you know, this is kind of wrestling one one We talked about a work. If someone is perceived to have an advantage and they still lose, that really kind of buries them, as they say in wrestling. So if Canelo, if if the perception is Canelo could be cheating and he still loses, doesn't that bury him? No. Really? You cheat and you still can't win? Because I think the market is so limited for fights. There's just not that many marketable fights. So even if he loses, they can still do a third one. Is there anyone coming up interesting? Not on this level. 
And think about where this fight was. I was actually just thinking this steroid PED thing is needed for this fight. Now, I think people would counter with, what do you mean? The, the first fight did really well. You know what? It actually did well at the gate. It did uh, the third biggest gate ever in Vegas. At, well, overall, uh, $55 million. But it only did only 1.3 million pay-per-view buys. Mayweather and McGregor did 4.4 million pay-per-view buys. These are two real boxers in their prime. Great fight. 1.3 million pay-per-view buys versus 4.4. How do you think being so close in proximity to the Mayweather fight? It hurt it. It hurt it. But big time, all time fights aside from Mayweather and McGregor still got up to 1.9, 2.1, 2.2. I know the energy here in town was less than what? One tenth of May uh, Mayweather McGregor. I wouldn't go that low. There was a lot of energy in town. I just don't, I think around the, here's the problem with the promotion and, it, you know, this may sound xenophobic, but this is reality. When neither guy speaks English well, I just think most of the American public need, they need something. They need McGregor yeah. and Mayweather shouting at you, talking trash. And when it's Triple G and Canelo and they can't get the message across. Need a wrestling manager. <laughs> That's right. That was part of it too, right? There was guys that weren't articulate, but also guys that were foreigners. There were a lot of Latino boxers in the 70s and 80s who had, you know, someone around them who could speak English and fan the flames. Yeah, yeah. All right. Next topic. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to have my take of the week. Also, the worst take of the week from Skippy. Uh Uh-oh. Skippy Bayless. And we're going to talk a little Kentucky basketball, Sweet 16. But first, let's talk about more gambling talk. And we're going back to PTI. I'm not even going to tell you what's said here. It's going to shock you that much. And I also believe this, Mike, and I think that Adam Silver is on to something, but I think he's got the wrong sport. I think the sport that can harness in-game betting better than anybody else it's is football. the sport that will succeed. Sure. And I you think, get time between I think, the plays. Yes, and I think it's football, whereas basketball is too fluid. It, uh, baseball, you can do it, but I don't know how you bet baseball. No, I know how you bet football, so I am not as pessimistic about it as you are. The sport that can harness in-game betting is the sport that will succeed. Not saying it's going to augment the income, not saying, oh, you know, it will be a popular form of gambling. It's saying that the success of the leagues itself is going to be correlated with in-game betting and how uh, popular it is in that sport. Wow. So what's the wow? Is it that they're talking about it? That seems like a grander thing than I've ever said, and I don't even believe that. I think it's grand. It's 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 more. You think that of all future, you know, like uh, algorithms try to look for correlations, right? And again, I know just enough to be dangerous with this stuff. I'm not a PhD, but okay. Oh, if the weather's good, like we were talking about basketball, and we talked about all the different things. Jerry West a couple shows ago, how and we talked about. Oh, it's cheap to have a hoop and a ball and all the reasons basketball would succeed. We didn't talk about in-game betting. I didn't mention in-game betting, but I mentioned betting and that football yeah. would never overtake basketball. I, I pushed back on Jerry. But I'm Webb. talking about in-game. This is next level. Yeah. This is good stuff. And when you think about it, they're right. Because I bet basketball in-game, it sucks. It's really hard. But if you said a factor in football's continued dominance will be it's more inclined to be enjoyable to bet it in game. I can accept that to say the number one factor in the future of sports is how inclined you are to bet, be betting game. Wow. 
Do those guys believe, as a lot of us do, that football wouldn't be as big as it is without betting? You would and think so. They're so. Just playing off of that. Yeah. I, I, to me, there's some savviness here. First off, I'm not sure if they just misspoke. If if maybe because what they were talking about was a new spring league that's come out. Yeah, that they're announcing they're going to start. Who knows with this stuff, right? So it's not. The Vince McMahon stuff. It was called the A. Let me see what the name of this. I think is. it's another league with a yeah, an Ebersol. Yes, the the son of Dick Ebersol, as you said. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, I might have mispronounced it too. Is uh, and it's like the AA something, right? AAO or something. Okay. And they so maybe they were saying like the spring football league that would survive, but then they were comparing it to basketball. So doesn't seem like it was that. Now, here's what I'll say that was correct about what they were saying, for sure. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I just, it feels like a bridge too far. But here's what's certainly correct. The AAF. Here's what's certainly correct. Europe is so far ahead of the United States when it comes to the maturity of their sports gambling market. And in Europe, in-game is huge. And soccer, obviously, is is one of the big sports. But think about the way a soccer game... and. I don't want to come off as completely naive here. Is there good options during a soccer game for in-game? It, it, it's pretty much you can bet the teams from that point on. I think their their point was, think about the the level where you can take football. You ever play the, the little QB1 games at the bars where you pick per play? Mm, I hear. You but, can bet on per really, play if you wanted to. But really in soccer, the, it takes so much time. Like once a team gets the ball on one side, it seems to take so much time to get down to the other side. You could get a proposition. It's almost like there's a break. Because really, the whole fluidity is, is there a break or not? Right. Right? So it, it, it strikes me that Europe has shown us in-game is huge, and it's integrated with the TV. And to me, this segues to a topic we're going to be talking about once the Supreme Court decision comes out, which is this whole idea of the integrity fee. We've had it on the notes for a while, but we keep going long, is... I think the integrity fee is an absurd idea. I think it's a mistake for the leagues to attach themselves to possible corruption because it's inevitable. No matter what you do, it's going to happen. We'll talk about all that. But here's where the real potential is, is a triangle. The leagues, the networks, the bookmakers. And on the smart TV up on the right, they've got Steve Cofair, or let's say Square Chair, your username, Square Chair. <laughs> Or hot take, hot shot. And you've got your account, let's say 73 bucks, and you're betting, you know, four bucks as the game's going on right on your TV, right? No latency, no nothing. And that's where everyone can make some money. The idea of this integrity fee is just people don't, you know, to me, I think it's a huge mistake. But I think the fact that PTI is taught and then at the end, they say, I don't know how to bet baseball. So these aren't like, you know, the money lines confusing them. So these aren't advanced gambling guys. And let's be candid. ESPN spends more money than anyone on internal research that they share amongst their people. I'm guessing this didn't just come out of left field. This is a sign of what ESPN's what their assumptions are about the future of the leagues and, and gambling. Was this a leak? Or were they told, hey, why don't you chat about this a little bit without really attributing it to us? No, from what I understand, and this is back when Colin was there and and we, uh, you know, I had deeper insight. You know, I know a lot of the on-air guys at ESPN, but not that well, is it'd be like, hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm reading this report about this that that ESPN get. Because the theory is, remember, ESPN does not 
like they're even at a Mike and Mike level or, you know, Wingo and Mike or whatever is they're not saying, Hey, now there might be a guy they bring on campus. They want to make the rounds, right? Do the full Monty or whatever, but they're not saying, Hey, talk, talk about this today. Talk about that today. The producers are deciding, but if they're getting documentation, that says soccer is trending up or soccer is trending down. Producers going to be less inclined or more inclined to talk about it. So to me, this feels like there's some research out there that, that is, 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 uh, or if not, if you don't know how to bet baseball, how would you have insight in, in game betting? So it was interesting though, right? Did you think that's where they were going? No, not at all. It's also, it's funny when you hear people hammer the future of sports TV, there's other areas where revenue can be brought in. It's coming. Maybe it's not as a desolate a landscape as you think. Well, but if anything, sports people think is is the most they're most optimistic about because you've got to watch it live, right? You know so, what you you know what you hear about ESPN. Yeah, it's a dying but, model. They screw themselves with the NBA. Can't wait till it goes out of business. It ain't going out of business. But ESPN is like the the, the girl who, when she was twenty five, she was uh, on a scale of one to a thousand. She was a thousand, right? And now she's thirty four, and she's a nine hundred and eighty. Still a nine point eight, <laughs> right? But there has yeah. been a drop off, yeah. right? I wouldn't mind owning one percent of ESPN. Yeah, all the people complain, and I I I wonder. Speaking of complaining, we're gonna have about ESPN. We're gonna have Clay Travis up next. First, so quickly, let's give some odds on Kentucky Cofield. I respect your basketball opinion, college basketball, probably as much as anything. Here's my belief. Kentucky more quickly went from being underrated to overrated than any team I've seen in college basketball in a long time. I think as recently as last game, Kentucky was underrated. Brad Powers had a best bet, I think, on straight out of Vegas. And by the way, we talked about that. 10 o'clock, midnight, 10 o'clock p.m. Pacific to midnight on Saturday. On Friday, it's 11 Pacific to midnight. We'll be previewing all those Elite Eight games on Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. See, Fox Sports Radio nationwide is Brad had multiple best bets on Kentucky uh, in the last week or two. But boy, now with the one seed, two seed, three seed, four seed out, and the six seed in that region, everyone's like, oh, here comes Kentucky. What do you think? I still think they're Jekyll and Hyde team. I'm not going to ignore what happened. You know, we're not going to account for game one against Davidson where they hit zero threes. What have we talked about? To me, that's an advantage. Really? If you can still win and almost cover, and I think they did cover in some spots, it was that late three from Davidson. I was at the Bellagio when it happened. You want to talk about screaming in each direction in those sports books. But I mean, if I, if I tell you, Hey, I went and ran a marathon. Let's just, I don't even know what a good marathon time is. You can see, I don't run marathons, but I think what, what four hours is decent. If you're not a, 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 you know, a professional, if I went and said, Oh, I only slept four hours last night and ran a three hour marathon or four hour marathon. Wouldn't you think, wow, that means if you slept, you could run better, right? If Kentucky's able to almost cover and not hit any threes 
unless you think they can't hit any threes hardly ever, which the whole season says otherwise, isn't that an example of a team underperforming in a way you wouldn't expect to continue? Yeah, but the whole season didn't say that otherwise because the, most of the season they were bottom 30 team in making threes and taking threes. So this run recently, oh. a, a big part of the success. Other than been, Davidson, you're saying. Other than Davidson, uh, this big run recently has been upping the made threes to somewhere between 8 and 11 a game, and it's made a big difference. I'm not saying they don't know the talent. Kentucky yeah. is just loaded with talent. And the bracket does help. I mean, a trip to the Final oh, Four, yeah. I'm not saying it's a certainty, but you would think that this Kentucky team can take out Kansas State and either Loyola or Nevada. Now, they're the prototype of a team that is super young and or young, I think is fair to say at minimum, that wasn't quite as good or wasn't near as good in November, December, but their trend line because of the youth is so steep. All that said... I wouldn't even consider betting them on the futures market now. And I think they're overrated. We're talking about, we spent over two hours breaking down eight games on the dream preview. And guys, if you, uh, you know, one way, obviously on Twitter, his Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. Also just go to your favorite pod player, search for RJ bell. It's the dream preview. You get don't bet on it. As soon as it's released, you get our interviews, our featured Vegas Truth interviews, also Dream Preview every Wednesday. Next week, we'll have our Wednesday AM release with the Final Four analysis and some early NFL talk with Fazek and some Tiger Woods talk from Matty Holt and the bookmaker's perspective on Tiger being the co-favorite in the Masters. Why wait? Get it immediately. Subscribe and it's free. Apple iTunes, etc. Okay, let's talk about the worst. No, let's do my take first. Now, this is Clay Travis. And we're talking about Butch. It's Butch Jones, right? Butch Jones, former Tennessee coach. Clay Travis has the claws out. If I were Butch Jones and I had been fired at Tennessee because I had lost control of the program and because everything had fallen down around me, and I literally had coached the worst season in the history of University of Tennessee football. Literally, that program has existed for 100, and I think it's like 17 years. And Butch Jones just posted the worst season in the history of the program. Worst season in 117 years. I think I would just slink off into the distance and cash my checks that I'm owed in my buyout and not try and go to work for Nick Saban, and then have him describe me as an intern. This is just a total indictment of everything surrounding the University of Tennessee football program, but also a total indictment of Butch Jones himself. A 50-year-old intern. I, 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 when I hear that, how do you have not have more self-respect if you are Butch Jones? You've got a family. Just chill. You've been coaching for a long time. Just hang out with them. You're making millions of dollars not having to do anything. Why humiliate yourself by serving as Nick Saban's intern at the age of 50? It's different if you come in and you have a legitimate job. Like, okay, you're going to be the offensive coordinator like Nick Saban was. Or you're going to be like even a position coach. But to get brought in and be an intern 
for Nick Saban in the University of Alabama? Does he think that's going to help somebody hire him again? But like, bam, Butch Jones did a great job getting Nick Saban's little Debbie cakes this year. Nobody better than than Butch Jones when it comes to Nick Saban snapping his fingers and saying, I need a little Debbie and a Mountain Dew now. Butch Jones just comes sprinting in with the little Debbie cakes. Here are your little Debbie cakes. <laughs> Let's first say that it was funny at the end, right? And, I, you know, to me, Clay Travis... Uh, I respect the heck out of him that he has political beliefs that aren't part of the, you know, the media obviously leans left. I don't agree with them all. I'm not even sure I agree what percentage, but I, I think it takes guts to, you know, I get it. Oh, he's getting attention from it. But I also like, you know, would you want to be that guy that goes to the party? You know, you're not in the club in a way, right? So... You know, I respect that he's going to say what he thinks, but, but boy, was this was this genuine or was this just being you know funny about it? Uh, I've got a strong take um, that's my personal take of the week. But Cofield, I want to get your thoughts first. Well, I think you're correct to be cynical. I, that's I call, not real. I call it realism. That that wasn't real. This is this is one of his things. He's been Tennessee as a personal. What do you thing for what him. do you think of him? Of Bush Jones or Clay Travis? Clay Travis. I think Clay's brilliant. Brilliant. That's a strong word. Yeah, I think he's one of the brilliant guys in sports talk radio, but I think much of what he's doing is playing a character. Do you think Colin plays a character? Not as much. Who who is really successful that you think isn't playing a character? No one. Wow. In sport in sports talk radio? Yeah. In sports TV. I think everyone plays a character to a certain extent. I think Whitlock plays a character. Define what a character is. I think you have like when you, you say you, he plays you, a character, what does you, that mean? You pick certain directions you're going to go in and you try to stay as consistent as possible by going in those directions. Do you think, that's, virtu- do you think that's virtuous? Because if anything, I, and again, obviously we all and intelligent people, I think we all think that everyone's more like us than they are. And you want to have faith that, oh, you know, I find it interesting when someone who always thinks this way Says, but in this case, I actually think another way, and here's why. Those exceptions fascinate me the most. You're saying that pure consistency helps with the lowest common denominator. Yes, they don't need you. <laughs> they don't. That's not who we're trying to appeal to. So, so we're saying if you're TV. listening to Don't Bet on It, that means you're a high IQ person. I guess. I think so. I, I hope, think that's fair to say. I hope. <laughs> but could we broaden the audience? By having crazier takes and planting stronger flags. I mean, come on. Butch Jones, shouldn't he shouldn't work for Nick Saban, which you can strike down as everyone else who has worked for Nick Saban has rehabilitated their career. Well, well the key here is I mean, an intern. Silly. And the intern, which Saban, when he said it, he was like, I don't know what you call it, an intern, an analyst. Well, analyst and intern, are much. they sound yeah. much different. That's what he was saying. And the... I mean, I guess Tennessee haters and, you know, the SEC donks will hear this and, you know, say, oh, he's right. Butch Jones is an idiot. We knew he's an idiot. Now he shamed himself. And I agree. I would never hire Butch Jones. Butch Jones will have a job as soon as he wants after a year at Alabama. His name will be rehabbed and he'll get at least a mid-major job. And poor Butch Jones will be making, you know, $700,000 a year. So here's my take. I think, but I'm not mad at Clay Travis for saying it. I get why he's doing it, and I get why so many people like it. Peace and love. Peace and love. 
Why I turned into a big ass kid, <laughs> Mr. Travis is great. <laughs> Mr. Travis. <laughs> Mr. Travis. And coming up, I do uh, some work for Station in Name ESPN Radio. So you take it easy. Oh, actually, I I just got my affiliations wrong. Uh, Mr. Bayless as well. With Fox, you leave these fine fellows alone. See, that's the beauty of owning your own company, baby. <laughs> nothing holds me back. I don't need nothing. Nothing. I d- double negative on purpose. Go ahead, Mister Bell. All right, here's what, <laughs> Sir Bell. <laughs> here's what I would say. And and one thing I'm going to try to do a little differently here on my take. It's not so much. Oh, I've got this strong take on a typical story that some of these other guys might have a take on. I want to kind of share what my perspective is because obviously if you're two almost two hours into this pod you like what Cofield and I are saying and to me I think that the internet doesn't really lend itself to 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 nuance and Twitter certainly doesn't right and but podcasts do you know to me my podcast hero and we are so proud to be part of podcast one especially with Adam Kroll. I mean, to me, a pioneer in the business. And we're one of a handful of pods. I mean, literally like three on the Adam Carolla network within podcast one. I do an appearance on Adam's show every week during football and sporadically in the off season. And I've flown into LA, met everyone, uh, was on set with Adam. I mean, these are a guys and the, but my podcast hero, I would say, is Joe Rogan. And the to me, it's Rogan saying, I'm going to sit down and talk for as long as it takes to get out the info I want from this person. And Rogan is our stand-in, the listener's stand-in, for get the info we want. And he'll have on Alex Jones, and he'll have on... You know, so you know, extreme right politically. He'll have on extreme left. He'll have on a hunter from Australia. And they'll talk about hunting for three and a half hours. Now, I don't listen to every podcast, but boy, I listen to the first fifteen minutes of every one because I get drawn into stuff I would never have thought. Right. So, along the lines of trying to have a little bit of nuance, a little more nuance, I think, you know, I was a, you know, I grew up in the eighties, and. But where I grew up, it was a lot like Freaks and Geeks. Have you ever watched that? I can't remember. You said you just did a little bit, Steve. All right. A lot of the listeners have now because I think they ran it on Sundance. And it was Judd Apatow's really, you know, he was on Larry Sanders first as a writer and then a producer. And then that was his first thing he was like the showrunner for, Apatow. Great show. It only went like 20 episodes. But it was 1980 Wisconsin. It was like, that's my hometown, right? Even though I was mid-80s and graduated in 88 is I loved the 60s. It was Zeppelin. It was Stones. It was Beatles. You know, eventually I got into Bruce and then into Dylan a ton in college. And still, I haven't, that one hasn't ended. But the, and I still love Zeppelin and the Stones. But I used to read, you know, like uh, William Burroughs, um, you know, Naked Lunch and Junkie. And and I loved like the doors and no, no one here gets out alive was a seminal book um, for me. And um, this is going to sound crazy, but the the Zeppelin biography, um, oh, I can't believe I can't remember the name of it, but there was like this total trash biography, Hammer of the Gods. 
it was a trash biography. Like it was like National Enquirer style, but it was like the blueprint of rock and roll and Jimmy Page and he's Aleister Crowley. I mean, very interesting stuff for our, remember this is pre-internet, right? The only thing we had was a convenience store. It was called convenient that had like two racks of magazines. That was it. And then eventually USA Today. Otherwise you had 13 channels and I was reading Hit Parade or about Zeppelin maybe getting back together in 83. Okay. And the 60s was so fascinating because as much as, you know, at the time, the 80s, it was, pla- you know, it was kind of plasticky, right? And in, in hindsight, we probably feel that in some ways. And the hair bands, we didn't like Motley Crue. What about you, Steve? What, what was your music like? I was not a gigantic music guy, but I would go Really? Like you're, all- you're like 16 years old. You weren't listening to music. Sports. Wow. Now you, I mean, you're not a small guy. Were you, did you play? I mean, what I'm, I'm what I mean is you're not like a tour. I mean, you right. look like you could have played high school football. Did no, you? I didn't play football. So I you just, love, I love sports, I love but you didn't. Sports. I love playing sports and watching sports. Did you play high school anything? Not successful. How many people were in your school in your graduating class? Uh, total school is like 1800. So about 450. Oh, so it was a lot. Okay. That was a big Cause with us, it was 72 kids, yeah. right? So someone had to play. <laughs> but um okay so you're a sports boy. so were you like did you ever watch one tree hill later there was a kid on there he, he, he was called mouth and he, he didn't play sports but he would announce them he was like a little nerdy guy announcing high school sports in the stands were you like that guy you know it's funny i actually <laughs> was the pa guy my junior and senior year for the basketball team and okay. football so you are living the dream then. Yeah, I wanted to be a radio guy. That's cool. I okay. love Howard Cosell. I think I did an essay on Howard Cosell when I was 13. But uh, all joking aside, you're a very bright guy. Like you didn't fall in with the stoners or the hippies. But were you hang- Were you good buddies with the jocks? No. So who who were your buddies with? Kind of an offbeat nerdy crowd, you were just You're just in your room dreaming about like like listening to old Monday Night Football calls and stuff. <laughs> Ah, I didn't know this after all these sure, years. Yeah, just it's, looking at everybody all angry. Yeah. Everything's so, changed. I've got a great outlook now. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it, it, you know, in hindsight, it, it, it's kind of a shame that the only kind of intellectual pursuits were so counterculture because I think counterculture has its place. I also think you can get caught up in being contrarian, being a gadfly, you know, like saying, oh, society's wrong about everything. Right. And, but it was very counterculture. So, one of the things I would read is I got into Timothy Leary a little bit and, you know, there was like the Tibetan book of the dead and not that I was ever an authority on this stuff, but you know, your, your cohort, as they say, your friends would be reading it. And I, I was probably leading the way on the reading side and it all talked about ego. Like you got to sublimate the ego. You got the ego is what's controlling you, you know, and obviously there's Freudian stuff and all that, but the, I didn't really understand it. And as time has moved on, and remember, this is all pre-social media, right? Is you realize it's like, okay, you've got to deal with your self-image, right? If you do something and you're ashamed of yourself, well, that's bad, right? And then you've got to deal with what your parents think of you, especially when you're a kid and even early 20s, usually, right? You still care. And most people, you know, not that you don't care later, but if you think one thing, your parents think another and you're 30, usually going to do your thing, right? But if you're 18, it's tougher, right? So it's you judging yourself. It's your parents judging you. Now it's your friends judging you, right? So you go out, you know, the concentric circle out one. 
and then it's society judging you, right? So even pre-internet, you've got all that. And the older I get, the more I realize that, that and I, I would say if I had to rate myself on how independent I am, as in well, am I willing to buck the system, am I willing to buck even my friends or whomever, I would say I would have rated high on that, that I went my own way. I usually brought people along with me, but you know, I wasn't the loner type, but I, I was proud not to be a lemming, not to follow the crowd. And the, to me, I didn't realize how much or how many of my decisions were ego based where I did play high school sports. I didn't really like it. You know, I was okay. I mean, average at best, but I could shoot the three. But the fact is that I did it because I didn't want to be a nerd. Like where I grew up, if you were a nerd, you were fighting every day. Right. And you you kind of wrinkled your eye. Like that seems crazy to you. No, I'm listening. I mean, the nerds got jammed in the lockers. Right. That does that seem crazy? Or you think you thought that was only in movies? No, they did. Yeah, they did. So. And again, when you're in a small class, like if you have, how many kids were in your graduating class? So 444. You could, you could hide, right? There, you, there was probably people you'd never spoke to, right? When you have 72 kids, 36 boys, they're all, you know, they're all interacting. It's like uh, Lord of the Flies. You right? don't have to defend it. Obviously, no, we, no. we do, we make a lot of decisions when we're teenagers and adults. No, I'm not sure defending it. I'm just saying, I, th- or putting a- I thought it was curious that you thought it was like weird that like, like nerds would get picked on. Like that's kind of like every t- eight movie of the eighties was based on that. Revenge one. of the nerds is one of my favorite <laughs> movies. And I cry at the end. They went. So, so to me, it was like, okay, I was athletic enough to be competent. And my buddies were all the, you know, like literally my best buddy got a scholarship to play division one football. And we're still friends to this day, like best friends. He was best man at my wedding. So it was like, I could have went the other way, but I didn't. And at the time I thought, well, but yeah, I'm here reading these books on the weekend. So it does, you know, I'm still being different, but I was compromising. And as I look back, you know, I went to Ohio state and I'm happy I did, but I probably wouldn't have went if my parents wouldn't have been like furious if I didn't. So in that case, it was probably good that I went, but I made a lot of decisions for them and for other people. And Here's where it all comes together. This was before social media. Now, <laughs> now, if you make a decision, it's like I've read a lot of stuff about millennials and Instagram and how they they have this massive anxiety about like if this picture, if I look like I've got a you know belly in this picture, what's it going to mean? I mean, are you? Have yes, you, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's just we've just broken the future generation as they destroy each other on social media. Well, You're right. It's a totally different world. And I'm thinking you can get crushed. And I'm thinking even to the point of in the 60s, you know, there was like all this peer pressure. And then for me in the 80s and, and early 90s and the idea that it what is it five times worse today, 10 times worse today. Whereas every move you make, if I think of some of the haircuts I had, I had the classic, like literally almost a ponytail in the back and bit and Alex P. Keaton in the front. Oh my gosh. Instagram would not have been my friend, right? You need to post those pictures. No. We have to get our revenge now. You didn't get you didn't get the brunt of the crap back then. Take but, it now. But 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 listen, here's what's funny talking about Trump. Trump has shown if anything 
weakness, like showing strength is very powerful in this age, right? Because whatever you want to say about Trump, he's been strong. You might say he's hiding weakness. Some people would say that, right? Others wouldn't, but he has shown strength. So like showing weakness in this day and age seems very tough. And this is where it swings around to this. To me, I could have done an entire rant talking about how cool it was that Butch Jones humbled himself to say, I could sit and collect my checks, but why, why would he be at Alabama as an intern other than genuinely either wanting to grind on his life's passion, right? That could be one reason. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. It also could be, hey, if there's anyone to teach you how to be a good head coach, isn't it Nick Saban? Because let's be candid. I'm guessing Butch Jones has 80 plus percent of what it takes to be a good head coach. Why not go to the mentor and and grind, even if you have to get daisy cakes, which I doubt. Because a lot of this is about that a school can only have so many coaches, but they can have support staff that can't be on the field and why and hire someone uh, that, that can help the team and, and Alabama has the budget for it and it doesn't break NCAA rules. So a lot of this is shenanigans around that, but to be, to put yourself in a position in the age of social media to be humiliated or at least attempt to be by a national radio host if anything, that takes guts. That's a sign that he's not letting ego dictate. And to me, it's something to give him a thumbs up for, assuming he's legitimately doing it for these right reasons. Celebrate, Butch Jones. Don't mock him. What do you think? I totally agree. I totally agree. I was actually, I was going to go a different direction with the, uh, what'd you say? Sublimate the ego? Yes. I'm actually jealous of Clay Travis. Clay Travis has no fear of being mocked. That's what, I, troll that's what I was saying. Yeah. I'm jealous of that. That's true. I, I've, I've said all these years since being a teen, I don't care what anyone else thinks. And I really don't, but I must, because why didn't I come up with this great rant? <laughs> Seriously. Well, I appreciate that. I need not, not your rant. Clay oh, Travis, oh. Yours, yours was great. That's actually, that's a long dinner conversation. <laughs> or we can all lay on the couch. I thought that was awesome. No, the way Clay Travis does not care what people think of him. And you could say the same thing about Trump that, again. That makes that, then that's why the best TV entertainers in sports that's why they are where they are. I love that. I'm jealous. And Stephen Stop A. caring what other people think. Yeah, it's true. But the catch-22 is, and this is for another rant, is you have to care enough where you're objectively hearing feedback. Because if you just say I'm right and everyone else is wrong, you're not going to grow. Right? So the trick is hear the feedback, but then judge it honestly. But I, to, I didn't answer your point on Butch Jones. I think it's awesome. Um, I don't know. Do you have opportunities to do that? I mean, I guess you do because you're... You're still a guy like I am. Uh, while you're hosting national shows, you like to humble yourself and do a lot of the dirty work that I think a lot of radio people are like, I've cut, cut sound. I would never do that. That's a producer's job. I tell you this. That's humbling yourself a little bit too, being involved in every element of doing a radio show. There's a director, Terrence Malick, who did uh, Badlands, a great movie in the 70s. And then he went a long time without, well, he had some other movies, but he went a long time without directing. I think it was like 82 to like 97. And then the same year that um, Saving Private Ryan came out from Spielberg, he did a movie called The Thin Red Line, which is considered a great war movie. There were multiple directors, guys that were like maybe the seventh best director in the world at the time, 
that went and worked on that movie as like a PD uh, or as a um, like a director of photography. Um, I guess that'd be a DP is where it was like, I want to see this guy work yep. to me. There's a handful of them, you know, and, and, and I, I guess another time I could say who it would be, but like if Colin Cowherd wanted to do a podcast where he wanted to just talk, let's say gambling. And he said, Hey RJ, could you produce it? And I can pay you X. That X would not be, I would probably need 10 times that to make it worth my financial wild, but I would certainly do it because I think Colin's a genius at what he does. And I'd want to be there to be an assistant to learn. So I think there's a handful of people for sure in different fields of endeavors that I would, that I would intern for at this point and, and be proud. Again, this is not many. This is why I don't believe that clay really believes that this is embarrassing. I'll give you another example. Where is there more collaboration and humbling yourself to learn from the greats? What, what genre? Not the right word, but music. Yeah, that's, don't musicians yeah, do it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. I can't believe he's going to go. He's one of the greatest guitar players ever. How how dare he go and embarrass himself? Why to, not? To me, it's not embarrassing. A, to, open to, to learning. To close the topic, to me, a great example of this where you show respect to your uh, your heroes in a way was the Grateful Dead, which in the 80s, the dead were selling out stadiums. I mean, 80,000, three nights at, you know, Meadowlands or whatever, right? Is, and they they worship Dylan, though. They worship Dylan. Dylan in the in 86, 87 was at his nadar, his low point when it came to his um, commercial career. When the Dylan tour, when Dylan toured with the dead, they let Dylan close. And, it was 95% of the people there were there to see the dead. And actually the dead played as Dylan's backup band in the, in those shows. So, I mean, to me, if you don't have anyone you respect that much, it, it's a shame, right? Maybe there's it, it, some fields, maybe don't have people that great, you know, but to me, the fact that I have people I respect that much, I think is a, I'm happy for, I'm grateful. All right. Let's go 180 degrees, the worst take of the week. And I'm going to, you know, I've never done this before. I'm going to read the odds before (laughs) I play it. So these are the current odds. This is you can bet them today to win the East in the NBA. This is going to surprise you. Toronto minus 125. Cleveland plus 200. So they're saying Toronto has... More than double the chance. Well, that's not exactly right, but obviously more than double the payout. Okay. So minus 125 plus 200. Boston 4 to 1, Philly 12 to 1, Washington 20 to 1. Okay. Hottest take of the week, Skip Bayless. I am here to declare the Eastern Conference is over. No. It's over. It's a cakewalk. And just stop it with Toronto. Just get them out of my sight. Toronto, right on schedule, is turning back into Toronto. They just shrink the sight of LeBron. Well, do they not? No. Do they not? No. DeMar DeRozan can score all the regular season points he wants, and then all of a sudden here comes LeBron, and he she shrinks. He gets those little dinosaur arms, right? They start you get a little T-Rex. Kyle Lowry, all of a sudden he goes 0 for 16 from three. You know, like, you know it's coming. They don't have any competition. Yeah, they do. LeBron James is about to play in his eighth straight NBA Finals. (laughs) 
What do you think, Kofu? That's why we do don't bet on it. I said that earlier, but that is why we, when you read the odds, Toronto has no shot, but the Raptors are somehow the Vegas favorite. By a long, by a significant margin. While Skip is getting stronger on the Cavaliers, the Raptors were actually around the trade deadline about four to one. So there's been so much of a change that it's gone from a four to one payout to where you now have to pay money to bet. You're going you're to pay more than you're going to get. If I remember, it was Toronto and Boston were two to one. Then after the trade, Boston went to like four to one. Toronto was still in I think, the two I to think one. at the trade deadline, it was. Might have even been high. Some even. spots you can shop Celtics for. Celtics were 280, and I think the Raptors were plus 400. So let's be honest, and I actually text Fez about this. I, I haven't taken my victory lap on that Cavs trade yet. So we'll have to do that on straight out of Vegas. Would we agree? I guess you want to take it now or you want to wait until we see what happens. Well, remember, I wasn't talking about would they win it or not. I was talking about that. Would this be a better team? Think random things can happen. It's hard to say this is a better team, right? At this point, but here's a new feature. It's the RJ bell bet challenge. All right. So, and I'm just Uh-oh. to be just to be explicit. Oh, no. Each it's week, cost me more money. No, 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 no. Each week, <laughs> each week, I'm gonna. You know, if there's a good one, there will be most weeks. Each week, I'm gonna have a bat challenge, and it's a. Now, listen, just for legality's sake, this is not a solicitation. All right, there's no vague involved, but if Mister <laughs> Skippy Bayless was interested. I would bet him for charity $5,000 on the Cavs, and I'll give him even money. He's saying it's a lock. I'm giving him even money on the Cavs, $5,000 for charity. And if he wants to go above $5,000, I'll go up to $100K. But the, after the $5,000, we're betting, he and I. All right? So <laughs> I, I'm guessing no one's going to take me up on these. But it does go to show you cold cash. If anyone wanted to really show... That and I'm not going to tweet them, and I'm not going to harass anybody. But <laughs> if anyone wants to really show that they want to back their hot takes, then and again, the first five thousand be charity. I'll go up to hundred k, and I'll give them even money. Apparently, on the lock that he thinks the Cavs are. I don't think you get this bet. <laughs> I don't think you can sucker him into it. All that said, hey, there's a chance. I mean, the Cavs aren't like some huge underdog, right? They're still two to one, but I do think it's interesting. Toronto is such a big favor. So can I, can I ask you why Toronto has jumped up so much? And I wanted to correct. I think you had it right. And I, our messages were mixed there uh, before the trade, before the trades, the Cavs and Raptors and the Celtics were all at the same number two to one after the trade. The Raptors dropped to plus four fifty. That's what I was referencing. Oh, the Celtics were plus no, I was wrong then. I didn't no, the think Cavs that. were even money. The Celtics were plus two eighty, and the Raptors fell to plus four fifty from two to one. Now they've jumped from plus four fifty to minus one twenty five. Yeah, I was surprised when I got the update today. Skips the outlier on this one. I mean, this Toronto is playing well. Now it's back to the debate with Houston. Right? Is the history says they're not good in the playoffs, but they are significantly better right now. Okay. Last topic, but we got two of them. Get off my lawn. This is where Cofield shines. He's rapidly approaching 50, but he's got a lot of anger built up. <laughs> we, you know, we're starting to learn why with some of his struggles in his youth, his, his isolation, right? <laughs> he's still trying to get over. It's been 30 years, but he's still trying to get over it. 
set it up. We've got some sound. There was a coach. So Cincinnati loses last round of the NCAA tournament before the Sweet 16. They lose a chance to go to the Sweet 16 as a two seed. They're leading 65-43. Nevada comes all the way back to crush the Bearcats and Mick Cronin. He simply asked after the game, hey, how disappointing is this that you didn't make the Sweet 16? You guys, you know, people want to talk about that stuff being important. I got an uncle fighting cancer that helped raise me. I got my best friend had a tracheotomy Tuesday. Was in, a, in growing up in life, almost died. I'm worried to death about the guys laying in a hospital bed in Boston. So, you know, that that stuff don't affect me the the, the way you you know it affects everybody else. So somebody can go on and put it on their resume. This doesn't mean anything to me. What's the point, Mick Cronin? Bro, we all have a job to do here. Yours is to coach basketball. You make $2.3 million a is year. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Can you just stand up and answer the freaking questions and not pull out Unk's cancer card on me? I, I wish <laughs> someone was there and they were like, oh, you know what? My parents just died in a plane crash and I just found out this morning I've got testicular cancer. So let's go, Mick. Let's compare misery. Just answer the questions about basketball. And then I loved in the second half of that, he pauses for a second. He's like, He's like, you people, who are you people? The media or the fans? The paying customers who help you make $2.3 million, who are a little upset right now? Come on, face the music. Don't be a pansy and start lashing out. Cut it out. The cancer card. The tracheotomy. It's almost like he was, like, there's two ways to look at it. Was he making excuses for the game or was he saying this doesn't matter? I think he was more saying it doesn't matter. This isn't really that important. Then how is he making two point three million doing it? Something unimportant. If you think this is important, that's on you. Really? So then I can cancel my season tickets. What would Belichick do? Uh, he would have just mumbled at that point. Given he actually <laughs> could you were, imagine Belichick were, saying that? Oh no way! <laughs> but you know what? We were talking about Rick Pitino earlier. Uh, Rick Pitino pulled out nine eleven one time, making excuses for some of the scandal. And you're like, what? I got to be honest. If that's embarrassing. If I had a, you know, head of a department talk like that, I'd let him go. And again, you're the head of a department. You're an educator. Look up the history of, say, listen, the most intense time of the season every year in Cincinnati is the rivalry game against Xavier. And too many times that game has either ended with just ridiculousness on the floor. They're one of the worst brawls in the last 15 years in college basketball happened in a Cincy Xavier game. I wonder why the kids act that way. I wonder why when they face adversity and they're about to get you know crushed that they can't deal with losing in a good manner. Could it be the educator, the guy who's supposed to set the example, Mick Cronin? Because that's, that's the example he just set. Yeah, to me, just to be specific, if someone needs to leave, right, like they got family problems themselves or for, you know whomever, right. You take a leave, right? And if a boss won't give you that, then that's a boss's fault. But if you are there doing the job and you say that, and here's the thing even, imagine him breaking down at the end of the game saying, you know, I thought I could do this and I'm so distracted because of this and that he takes it off, but hold on. And he says, man, I failed. And, and in a way, you know, he's accepting the blame, but also trying to mitigate it. I could almost deal with that. I wouldn't like it, but it's human in a way, right? He wouldn't be an elite guy, but you get it. The worst of all is trying to like act like none of this matters. Why in the heck is all the TV lights or why is all the, there's a billion dollar contract for this tournament. It matters. 
You're getting paid this money. Is he keeping his job? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, he he, uh, he used actually UNLV out here for leverage a couple of years ago. Oh, he's got a he's got a sweet deal. He's got a, an extension. He ain't going anywhere. I tell you, Steeler fans wouldn't put up with that. <laughs> you know what? If you're winning, I think in certain cities, they're like, oh, my God. You're not going to be winning with that crap. They do win at a pretty high level, but not the highest. Not yet. Yeah, I mean, how much did they win before Huggins, right? But I guess it's been so long, you got to give them credit for keeping the success going. I think the 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 bigger picture here is there are certain there many college markets will just accept just about any sort of behavior and excuse making from their coaches because of the unknown. Well, maybe the next guy won't be as good, so he can be a creep. But you know, we win a lot. Well, Cofield, we went over two hours and ten minutes. We said an hour fifteen. Hey. It is what it is. I thought this was our best show. <laughs> I did. I enjoyed your ego discussion. I Thank you. And that, it, that to me is a standalone podcast. Well, I appreciate that. But, you know, to me, talking and getting a chance to really feel comfortable, uh, you know, allows you to kind of, I think, get in touch with, the, you know, the those feelings that aren't necessarily right on the surface. So thank you so much. I thought you were excellent today, Steve. By the way, on Twitter, great follow. You know, a lot of media guys, their Twitter's kind of perfunctory. Steve really put some thought into it. It's at Steve Cofield, and you spell Cofield. C-O-F-I-E-L-D. And listen, I think you should follow Steve if you can, but if you only can follow one of us. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. Talk to you next week.